Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. <sighs> Sorry I'm late, everyone. It's all right. The meeting's just getting started. Are you in your closet? Yeah, it's the quietest place. <laughs> ah, not the roomiest, though. Getting closer with your closet these days? That uh, dinosaur costume behind you? What? No. <laughs> the Container Store's custom closet sale is here to help with up to 25% off closet systems and free virtual in-home closet design. Who wants Sean to put on the dino suit? Really, guys? The Container Store, where space comes from. Someone you know has probably experienced cancer, a heart attack, or stroke. The odds of experiencing one of these are high, which could result in bills for thousands of dollars in out-of-pocket expenses. How would you pay for it? With your savings? There is another option. It's called Active Care. Active Care is a supplemental health insurance policy that offers protection for covered cancer, heart attack, or stroke, and a choice of cash benefit options from ten to sixty thousand dollars. And with Active Care, the cash is yours to use as you see fit. Active Care is brought to you by Colonial Pen Life Insurance Company and is underwritten by Washington National Insurance Company. Get Active Care for cash, choice, and control. Visit colonialpen.com for more information. This is a limited benefit policy. This policy has limitations and exclusions. For costs and complete details of coverage, visit colonialpen.com. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Thank you, guys. Honored to be here. Please sit down. I see some Cubs jerseys in the back, so good. good to be from Chicago, not in Chicago. We'll get into that throughout the speech. I want to thank Brock, Madison, Rachel, and Holly for planning this event, South Dakota College Republicans. Uh, Thank you, and I hope that I'll be able to to convey more wisdom than most college classes will teach you nowadays. So uh, we're going to have a fun time together. It's an honor to be in South Dakota. Uh, I'm originally from Illinois. Our office is in Phoenix, Arizona at Turning Point USA and Turning Point Action. And it's hard for me not to travel I travel typically when things are normal, whatever on earth that means now, uh, 350 days a year. So I basically perpetually travel. And for the first time since high school, I was basically locked down uh, in Arizona for, I think, 10 weeks without traveling. That was a very bizarre experience. But throughout the entire lockdown, I kept looking to South Dakota. I was like, why could I not live in South Dakota during all of this? And, right? And... I, I want to talk about a lot tonight, but I, I, leadership is a very hard thing. Leadership means you're going to endure criticism. Leadership means you have to put forth a vision, means you have to be able to read people correctly and organize them effectively. Leadership means you're going to do what's right, even though you know there's going to be a backlash, the likes of which you couldn't expect. And you have a leader as a governor of South Dakota, and you should be very proud of that because she did the right thing. And... I, I could tell you she, she's been proven correct throughout this entire circus of locking down our entire country. And I visited some of these lockdown places. And it, it doesn't – when you lock down a society, and for those of you that have been here in South Dakota, 
I'm sure you had various degrees of this, but nothing even close to being even I was just in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I felt like it was something out of Chernobyl. Everyone's wearing the four year olds are wearing masks and no one's happy and they're all angry at each other. And the stores are only open two hours a day and they're closing things down. And they they tested twelve hundred people in in Teton County. They couldn't find one case of the Chinese coronavirus. And that's right. I do call it the Chinese coronavirus. So thank you very much. So um, I think that if you call it Ebola and you call it all these other things, the place of origination, I think it's only fair to label what closed down our society the last four or five months. So, but leadership is hard and your governor, Christy Nome, and I consider her a friend, a friend, and I always considered her to be courageous, but what she did to just say, look, the data is not there to lock down my state. I trust my citizens that if they want to stay at home, they have the liberty and freedom to do so. We are going to protect and help people that need the help that want to stay at home. Call your church. Call your local government. We'll supply you if there's something that you need. But I'm not going to use the power of the state, basically threaten to arrest you at gunpoint if you dare leave your home to go to church. Like, it's just not that hard of a concept to understand. And even some of these neighboring states to South Dakota, they were just so afraid that the media was going to call them bad names. And South Dakota really was the only state in the country that did not offer a draconian shelter-in-place order. And there were some other states that say they didn't do it. This revisionist history just makes me so sick. I was just in Wyoming, and I had to hear from, let's just say, other governors. Let's just put it that way. I'm not going to say any names. And they're like, yeah, we didn't shut down. I'm like, only Christy Nome could say that, and South Dakota could say that. So, But look, here, here's the very important thing that we have to recognize when it comes to leadership. When it comes to leadership, you have to make a vision convince your citizenry, hopefully, and as you are putting forth the the decisions that you are trying to make, and the entire mainstream press comes after you, the entire national media comes after you, what does Christine Noem do? She stands strong. And I'd say to the entire Republican Party that's just perpetually afraid that the media is going to call them bad names, I say, Christine Noem, boy, I have to be a little bit, I know we're live streaming, so I I'm going to say this as nicely as I possibly can. She, um, she has more of a backbone. Let's put it that way, okay? Let, let's use that attribute, okay? Um, you guys can fill in the rest, right? Let your creativity run wild. I always try to make things PG, but boy, do I want to just be able to... Anyway, she has more of a spine than the entire Republican Party combined because the fact that we are supposed to shut down our entire society, especially in a state like South Dakota, where you're basically already socially distanced. Let's just be honest, okay? Everyone lives within like a couple hundred acres of the next person, okay? And I love South Dakota. By the way, the state's awesome. Like no income tax. You all love liberty. Everyone owns firearms. Like a MAGA hat's considered like a good thing in South Dakota. It's amazing, right? So, and the the fact that this state was supposed to abide by what every other authoritarian maniac was doing, I just think is a, is, it was, first of all, in this beautiful state where you have Mount Rushmore, and you have the champions of freedom and you have the champions of liberty so beautifully positioned, you know, just 30 minutes south of here. I think it would be a disservice and it would be a moral outrage to shut down this state when we have so many people that sacrificed for our freedom and liberty. And let's just talk about this because now they're trying to shut down the country again. And you see Republican governors that are going along with it. And so I'm a data guy. I'm a science guy. I, I love statistics. First of all, they say, well, there's a record new amount of cases. Well, why is that? Well, you can't walk into a hospital now without being mandatory tested. You can't. And so for all the elective surgeries, for all the 
visits and the doctor's visits that were postponed during the lockdown, all of a sudden they're all being rescheduled. So you walk into any doctor's office with symptoms or without symptoms and they're testing you, right? So they're testing you. And by definition, when you increase the testing pool, you're going to have more people that are testing positive. But they're not telling you that in every single state except Arizona, which for its own reasons is an outlier, deaths are going down. Intensive hospitalizations are going down. The media says, well, the ICUs are totally packed. Well, they're totally packed because people are going to the ICUs now for what they call elective surgeries for the first time in a long time. And so you add this kind of nuance, you add like, oh, well, I didn't think of it that way. Well, maybe you should start thinking in general when you start to make very important public policy decisions. And I'm like, I'm not minimizing and saying the virus is nothing and you shouldn't take it seriously. But for a country that was founded on this frontier mindset that this state in particular was founded in negative 30 degree weather, right, homesteading, I think that we can handle a virus. Like, I think that's probably pretty fair. And when you have freedom, this is a very important thing we do not communicate to young people. It's, it's fun to say freedom, right? Like, yeah, freedom and liberty. You can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Um, it's impossible to have freedom if you don't have responsibility. It's impossible. So, for example, if you think you could just have limitless freedom and do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it and not take responsibility for your actions, that's what petulant children do, right? So, that, and, and by, by the way, this is the infantilization of our country that's happening in real time, right? The left wants the entire country to become like a daycare that they take care of us all the time, seriously. Like, seriously, you can leave here, you can't leave there, just look to us, nanny state's going to take care of you all the time, right? Where I actually want to live in a mature society. I want to live in a society that trusts us with firearms, that trusts you to be able to make informed decisions, to say, you know what, if you want to go to church on Easter Sunday, you can go to church on Easter Sunday, and we are not going to lock you down to prevent you to go to church on Easter Sunday. And then to add insult to injury to this entire thing, they locked down all of America. And then you, and I'm going to get very, very into this throughout the speech, but you have like half a million people that storm the streets, some of which are not wearing masks, most of which aren't wearing masks, not socially distanced because of the protests for, they call it racial injustice, and I'll get into it. But fine, people should have the right to express their own First Amendment. I'm completely supportive of that. But I was like, wait, I thought we're locking down the country. Like, I thought that was a thing, right? I mean, you, you guys sent out armed militias to prevent us when we were trying to protest the lockdowns all across the country. And you have 200,000 people in Brooklyn, New York, or 150,000 people in Philadelphia, or 100,000 people in Los Angeles, and all of a sudden we're supposed to just say, oh, it's okay because they're protesting something good. This is the wokest virus I've ever seen in my life. Apparently, it doesn't infect you if you're protesting racial injustice. Like, it's it's very strange. And then they're like, well, I wonder why the cases are increasing. Again, testing is one of the reasons, but maybe it was the 100,000 people that were in the streets on Memorial Day weekend protesting without a mask right up against each other. And the media's like, oh, well, and, and then you have 1,400 health professionals that are saying, well, it's okay to go protest. I kid you not, this is a real thing. They say you can go protest in the streets because the threat of white supremacy is greater than COVID-19. So I was like, okay, if you could find a cause great enough, I guess the virus stops mattering or something. It's very strange. And so that's why I respect your governor here in South Dakota, because leadership is by definition being a contrarian. If you're going along with the flow, especially the flow of the left-wing collectivist, in my opinion, anti-American narrative that is stemming all across this country, to dare say you disagree with that, they are going to try to destroy your life. It's that simple. And Governor Kristi Noem could have done what every other governor did. She could have said, that's right, don't call me bad names, we're going to kind of sort of lock down the state. And these other neighboring governors are trying to make it seem like that's what they did. 
Like you're the only state that stood up against the mob, that stood up against the swarm. And you said, I actually trust my citizens. I trust the 800,000 people in the state of South Dakota. That's what a mature society does, by the way. When you have freedom, you also have responsibility. So we should give it up for Christy Nome because you guys are so blessed with a terrific governor. It's, it's incredible. And, and, and now she's being proven correct and people are, that's the other thing that the Republican party has to learn is that leadership will be rewarded, that it's really hard when you're going through the thick of it, but people need leaders now more than ever. We do not need more people that do the Democrat light thing, right? They're like, well, we can sort of shut down our state and, you know, I guess we can give less free stuff than the Democrats. And what I think the American people are actually looking for right now, as evidenced by your governor and evidenced by the few truth tellers that are out there, is that we don't want like a nicer, more moderate form of Chuck Schumer. Like that's not what we're looking for, right? We want something that actually re-embraces the founding commitment to our country, that defends our citizens, that does not allow the, icon, the icons of our founding, like George Washington, to be torn down violently. Like, we want a government that's going to protect our history. We want a government that's going to teach it correctly to the next generation. And I get the feeling, and I, I'm, I'm incredibly vocal lately about this, is that you like it or not, the Republican Party has completely squandered this opportunity in the last couple of weeks. They just have. And South Dakota is probably one of the most Republican states in the country, one of the most conservative states. And so why you guys do not have national leadership screaming at the top of their lungs on the floor of the U.S. Senate or the U.S. Congress while our statues are being torn down, while they're threatening to take down Mount Rushmore, I, I, I just, I don't understand it. It's just, I mean, it'd be one thing if like, oh, I'm worried about losing re-election. Like you represent South Dakota, okay? I know that Christy Nome was in a tough governor's race, but it's probably pretty fair to say that you're going to keep on electing the incumbent Republican. In fact, I think you'll win by more. In fact, if, I think if you come out and you say, if any Democrat wants to see what happens when you try to take down Mount Rushmore, you're going to be met with, let's just say, uh, a lot of angry South Dakotans that, uh, let's just say, they love their Second Amendment, right? By the way, we need, we need, a, re- we need a renewal of courage in our country. And cur- again, it, it's very hard to find, though. And this is why, and again, they're tearing this stuff down. The, the, the left destroys everything they touch. If there's one thing, and it's probably one of the more dark things to remember from my speech. But if there's only one thing to remember, it's the left. They destroy everything they touch. They've never built anything, okay? They, 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 they are, they're, they're metaphorical locusts, let's put it that way, right? No, seriously. They destroyed Hollywood. They destroy our movies. They destroy our school system. They're destroying the National Basketball Association. They're destroying the National Football League. They're destroying the Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout. They have girls and Boy Scouts and they have all the strange new things about social justice and, you know, racial diversity. And I'm like, I remember when the Boy Scouts were like actually about developing strong men because our country needs strong men. Like what an incredible, you know, topic that we actually need strong men and strong women. And I think the hyper feminization of America has been one of the downfalls of our country because you actually need that balance. And it talks about that in the Bible, that it becomes one flesh, that there's attributes of the feminine and the masculine that are needed. And a society is no different, by the way. And a society that gets too masculine also is not good either. Don't get me wrong. You get strong men authoritarians and no checks and balances, but a society that totally discounts the role of the masculine. That's why you have 77% of black children being born without a stable father in the home. And, and that's when you start to see the entire family structure decay. So in the last couple of weeks, for those of you that follow, might follow my social media or not, and thank, thank you for those of you that you do, I have been more vocal than ever 
And for whatever bizarre identity politic reason, the left believes, and this is a postmodernist reason, and I'll dive into this, they think that if you are not the right skin color, you are not allowed to comment on issues. That's their new thing. So they've told me to shut down, literally. I've had people in the media to say, Charlie, just shut up and listen. So I've been louder than ever because I don't take to that crap. Like, I I don't do that. So, I mean, truth is truth regardless of skin color. One of the crowning achievements of our country was when Martin Luther King said we should judge people on character, not color of their skin. Like, I completely agree. That's a biblical concept. That is a Western society concept. And it took us a long time to actually achieve it and fulfill it. Now we have a very strange and dangerous and malevolent and pernicious digression where we're now judging people on the color of their skin, not on the content of their character, where you have people that are going around and being forced to take a knee because of the color of their skin. And so let's talk about this because a lot of young people in schools all across the country are now experiencing this. And they say, well, Charlie, you have to go apologize for the institutional racism that your skin color you know, embodies, first, like, first of all, you don't know my family's history, and I'd be happy to educate you on that. Second of all, since when do we have, like, 12th century feudal blood guilt? Like, since when is that the way we run our country? I'm a completely separate entity than my father and then my grandfather. I am related. They brought me into the world, but I can make my own decisions. I can make my own choices. In fact, the Christian ethic is the one that built our society, where it's like your father cannot atone for your sins. You must have an individual relationship with Christ. And we take this for granted a lot, but it was the Bible that actually taught us that every single individual is what? Made in the image of God. That it's not your tribe. It's not where you were born. It's not your last name. It's actually, you have to find your own surrendering personal salvation through Jesus Christ. And no matter how good of a person your mother is, she can't save you for you. She can try to guide you in that direction. She can try to instruct you. And so we built an entire society around this idea, around the sovereignty of the individual, that you matter, that you matter, that you matter. But you must have your own personal connection with the Almighty. It didn't work that way a thousand years ago. The way they used to punish people, because they only lived till they were like 35, was like if you did something bad, they're going to banish your next five generations out to the hills. Seriously. They, They did blood guilt punishment. Whereas like, if you did something bad, your children's children and your children's children's children will live in the outskirts and will be peasants forever, basically, right? That, that was the way that they used to punish people. Like, oh, no, please do anything to me, but don't do that to my kids. And that's a pretty bad thing, right? I mean, could you think of something more evil? Because you're, by definition, then punishing an innocent, right? And so Western society, and this is where we get common law from, derived from the Bible, is like, that's not fair at all. Like, punish the person as severely as you need to, but don't punish the kids, And we all accept this, right? Like, this is something that is so obvious to us. We call that what? Those two words, common sense, right? And that's why Trump won is because he was saying things that are within our spirit. It's within our nomenclature. It's in our story. So when we say those two words, common sense, we just kind of dismiss it, right? But common sense isn't that common now at all. In fact, it's like rare sense. In fact, if you dare say something like this, they call you the worst things that you can call someone. They say that oh, you're racist, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe. So let this be perfectly clear. No person should be judged on what their father or their grandfather does. Period. End of story. No mature or advanced society should ever build anything around that. With that being said, people say, well, Charlie, you, you know, don't you understand that white individuals have benefited tremendously out of the systems that were built completely for them? Now, if that was true, let's just take that argument and just defeat it because 
lies need to be defeated early and often so they don't spread into widely held public opinion. This is one of the big things, the big issues I have with the Republican Party is they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to allow my colleagues to call our country an awful place. And eventually, you know, people won't believe it. Next thing you know, 62 percent of young people think America is an awful place. That's what happened when you don't speak out and you don't defeat the lie. So they say this. Well, the country was built, built for you, for white people. OK, fine. First of all, no. But let's let's look at the data. If that was true, why is it that the average white family earns $72,000 per year annual income and the average Indian American family earns $123,000 per year income? Average Taiwanese uh, individual, 118000 and all the way down. So was, was the Constitution written in Hindi or written in Korean? Like maybe it's not the color of your skin. Maybe it's the choices that you make. Maybe it's the, 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 the ultimate privilege in our country, the number one correlation is whether or not you were raised by a mother and a father. That is it. If you were raised by a mother and father in the home, you have a higher likelihood to succeed than almost any other guiding metric. Now, with that being said, the single mothers do a phenomenal job in our country and they should be rewarded as such. But, but the nuclear family that is prescribed in the Bible and has been defended over the last 2,000 years still to this day creates a socioeconomic safety net that more than likely will create a, a country that is really what Tucker Carlson calls, and it's brilliant, a colorblind meritocracy where I don't care about the color of your skin, work hard, play by the rules, and have good character. To succeed in America, you need to do three things. And the fourth is pretty obvious, but the three things that are not so, they should be obvious. Graduate from high school, get married before you have kids, and get a job, any job. The fourth thing is don't commit crimes. That shouldn't be that big. That one's for, like, don't like don't burn down your neighborhood. Like, you know, don't go steal a 72-inch screen TV and say you're doing that because you're remembering George Floyd. Like, no, you're a criminal, okay? Like, I, I, just because you got a, oh yeah, everything's on sale. Like it's not a sale. You're stealing it. Okay. You're a, th- you're a thief. Okay. Well, yeah, n- nothing says remembering the legacy of George Floyd, like pillaging the, you know, the Gucci store. Like, okay. Yeah. That's it's, it's, and then people are trying to justify it on television. But here, here's, here's, here's a very interesting statistic. A black individual in America who's raised by a mother and a father is far more likely to succeed than a white individual raised by just a single mother. And, and I, I, I find a lot of just dis, I just find, I just find it so repulsive that we are engaging in these kind of, well, this skin color therefore gives you, by definition, a higher likelihood to succeed. And ha- having actually driven through Appalachia, which is 98% white, and having to look at opioid clinics that do not have the capacity to service white America, having dr- driven through rural America and understanding how we just shipped our manufacturing jobs overseas, which overwhelmingly impacted the white working class, I think it's very fair to say that it's more than fair to say that if we just continue this balkanization of what group is the most oppressed in the country, that is so anti-Western. It's anti-America. And and so so their, their whole argument is, well, Charlie, what would you attribute then for why black America is not doing very well? Because I think it's fair to say that's, that that's it's more than fair to say the statistics show that. And first of all, if we are such a racist country, why is it that two million people volunte- voluntarily have immigrated from Africa since the 1980s? So why is it that more people have voluntarily came from Africa since the 1980s than came here as slaves? If we were such a racist country, who, who on earth would do that, right? I mean, like, right? Like, wh- why would anybody do that? It's just con- counterintuitive. Like, I wouldn't want to go to that country, right? Like, don't, 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 actually, no, it's actually, we're a very decent country. They say we're systemically racist. I think we're systemic, systemically decent. I think that most interactions that people have of individuals that look different than them, I actually think they're rather, congenial mutually respect i think that actually it's hard to find the indecency i think you have to look for it i think you actually have to create it 
I mean, you have to find a garage door opener that you think's a noose. You have to you have to make up some sort of crazy story in downtown Chicago where you said that two people wearing MAGA hats in negative 10 degree weather said this is MAGA country and they threw a noose over you. And by the way, that Jesse Smollett thing is one of my favorite stories to talk about because it was just so fraudulent. I knew it was nonsense because I've lived in Chicago almost my whole life. Go Cubs. And as soon as I heard the story, I was like... Two people in negative 10 degree weather. First of all, you guys know what negative 10 degree weather actually is. Okay, I say this story in California. They think it's cold. Like, no, it's like hell. Okay, it's not cold. Okay, it's completely different. And so they say, oh, well, I was like, first of all, I've never seen anyone wear a MAGA hat in Chicago. Okay, first of all, let alone in negative 10 degree weather, hunting down Jussie Smollett at 1.30 in the morning. And as soon, the, the, as soon, I knew it was a hoax. As soon as I saw the police video where you, they walk into his apartment, right? And Jussie's there. He's crying. He's got the whole melodrama, right? And he still has the noose on him, right? Like, who does that? And so then the, the first thing the police officer's like, why don't you take the noose off? So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So like, that's like probably someone's about to kill you, right? Like that would probably be the first instinct to take the noose. Anyway, so then also hate crime hoax 101. Do not hire black Nigerian brothers if you're trying to pull off a racist hate crime in downtown Chicago. Like probably, and then also don't write a check. Like that would be a bad idea. You know, right? Like don't write like mugging supplies, right? No, it's what he did. And um, th- th- finally, he's being held accountable for that. But our country is such a decent country. We ha- like in order to try to prove the point, they have to conjure this stuff up. And I'm not saying that there aren't real incidents of this. I'm not saying that. But when you start to look at the the incidents that are just created and conject and concocted, it does beg the question: Why do they do that? They do that because you get a special currency and you get treated differently if all of a sudden you're a victim. And all of a sudden, they like desire the victimization. It's like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be glorified and glamorized if I get that kind of oppression Olympics medal. And we're a country of victors, not victims. We're a country that overcomes adversity, not one that wants to just overly focus and just. In, in some ways, I think it's incredibly dangerous to do this and try to build an entire society of who's the most oppressed victim group. And I and I'm not saying that certain people have not gone through hardship, but if I went through this room right now and I ask people what they're going through that they might not publicly proclaim, it's incredible the amount of suffering that is in life. In fact, I think that's one of the most agreed upon universal principles, and it's a Christian one and it is also a Buddhist one, but life is suffering. Like it's really a hard place. And if we all of a sudden start to get to become a society where you should be rewarded more because awful things have happened to you, I, I think that's, that is how you start to have a gateway to Marxism and socialism in a very, very dangerous way. And so to kind of put a whole kind of button on this is that I call, I call the movement BLM, by the way. First of all, I know BLM is not very, you know, favored out in the American West. So I think that's probably, but I call it BLM Inc. And I, I say this for a couple of reasons because the statement, they're very good at messaging. Black lives matter and, and they do matter. All lives matter. And by the way, you should all be unafraid to say all lives matter. That the fact that this has become like hate speech, all lives matter. It's a biblical concept. It's an American concept. I say it all the time. You guys should say it. It's just, there's nothing wrong with it. And so, but the statement is 100% true. But the organization and the movement is malevolent and Marxist and trying to deconstruct our country. So that's why I call it BLM, because I'm just trying to distinguish the two, because I don't want it ever to be my words chopped up or to hear as if I'm, dis- I'm dismissing the statement, which is, of course, true. And, they, and the, the way they message it is 100% intentional. They try to have that kind of mix-up happen. But BLM, if you read the website, I, I encourage all of you to do this. Their mission statement, for one of the first things, like, oh, wow, that's really interesting, is to disrupt and destroy the Western-prescribed nuclear family. Like, that's their opening shot. Like, wow, okay. Um, that's the organization that hundreds of millions of dollars has flowed to. Abolish prisons. 
that's um, not a good idea. Um, abol- abolish police. You've heard that one, right? Defund police. By the way, I, I just it's just so it's just so predictable, right? So the Minneapolis City Council. I don't know if you guys seen this video in the last couple of days. You know, they're granting and they're raving, defund the police, get them out of our communities. And yet they are paying $4,600 a day for private security, right? Because they're so worried about the threats against them. And so it, it's a wonderful socialist mindset. It's very French Revolution-esque. Like, we're going to be the ones that pioneer the revolution. We'll get the spoils. We'll get the treatment. We're going to protect ourselves, but you guys, not so much. And then we're just going to keep on causing problems in your communities to keep us in power. So the left is always in a relentless pursuit of perpetual power. If you understand the left, you understand that all they care about is nonstop dominant political power. And so the, the, the Minneapolis City Council, they're trying to defund the police. So let's just talk about police in our country because they get such a bad rap. And of course, there's bad cops. There's bad everything, by the way. People say, oh, the police are so rotten. Show me one institution that's not rotten. I can show you a church that's rotten. I can show you a food bank where someone's probably stealing something, right? There is not anything that involves human beings that by definition, you're not going to find certain people that are self-interested, greedy, sinful, and are going to give a bad name to that institution. It's impossible. And and if, if you think otherwise, then you believe in an incredibly flawed view of human nature where you think human beings are naturally good. And that's a Rousseauian uh, view of, of human beings. And I can get into that later if you know anyone's interested in the, the deeper philosophy of it. But so so they, they, by definition, they think, well, we can get rid of police. People's lives are going to improve. And so it's just like, well, hold on a second. Like, let's, that's absurd. And in fact, it's so absurd, someone from a university had to come up with this idea, right? Like, there's, there's no way that anyone that was not, no, seriously. And I mean that because you have to be spending 16 to 18 hours a day in a university not living in the world to come up with something as absurd, nonsensical, and honestly immoral as that, right? It sounds like someone who lives in New Haven, Connecticut and teaches at Yale and has private security and comes up, I wonder what the world would look like without police. Like, you need to just teach Aristotle and just stop teaching, right? Like, stop trying to act like you're the smartest person in the world because you're not, right? And so, but, but here, like, so... We have an example of this, though, right? So the insurrectionists, that's what I call them, they, they created a new country in our country, 156 country, uh, Chaz or CHOP or whatever they call it, right? And they took over seven city blocks in downtown Seattle. So at Turning Point USA, uh, we're on 2,000 high school and college campuses across the country. We play offense. We're very, very aggressive because we do it with a sense of urgency because we feel like we're losing our country. If you feel like you're losing your country, we agree with you and we're trying to do something about it. And so um, thank you. I, I completely agree. And so... So we sent, we sent our video team into Chaz or Chop or whatever they call it, right? And, and we, we, the videos have gone viral. You guys can check it out. And you guys have probably seen it. I mean, the drug usage, the feces, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's very typical left-wing governance. What's so interesting, though, is if, if the no police thing works so well, and this is tragic. I mean, we can laugh at it and kind of we should, but two teenagers have died in Chop in the last two weeks. And so they just took it over finally, like what a concept. And by the way, the only reason they've disassembled this new sovereign country is because they just started to protest the mayor's house. If you actually follow the story is that the leader was like, these people are the worst. Like, no, you were calling it the summer of love three weeks ago. Seriously, she was calling it the summer. It's like the summer of blood, okay? Not the summer of love. And so two teenagers die in Chop or Chaz or whatever. But if getting rid of police gets rid of all the sin, then it should have just been this wonderful place, right? It should have been harmonious. Everyone should have been getting together. But no, you get rid of police, thugs are going to take over. And it's either you believe that hierarchies exist or you don't. 
And these people, for whatever, I mean, just again, it's you have to spend time. You have to get like a doctorate from Brown to believe this because no real. That's why I love South Dakota. You guys actually live in the real world. You act in the real world. You have real communities and churches, and it's just incredible. And you go out east. Everyone has gone to some prestigious eastern, you know, east coast school where they live in a utopia, which means nowhere, and they think that they can socially engineer and design the, the country when, in reality, of course, they can't. And so, the Seattle's a great example of this. But if Black Lives Matter to BLM. Why that? Why on earth are they not outside every single abortion clinic across the country? First of all, okay. So let's just talk about this. So I, I'm very vocal on abortion. I think it's one of the most unspeakable tragedies in our country. I believe life begins at conception. I think that we in the in the pro life movement need to do a better job of consoling and being compassionate individuals that have had abortions and not and not be co- condemning and not be accusatory. I think that's a huge mistake. So I want to preface it by saying it. But I think that we have to understand that life does be given, uh, begin at conception. Life in the womb should be equally protected under the law, and that a million abortions a year, which is what we have every single year, is a moral outrage. It just is, pure and simple. It's just a moral outrage, and so. Happy to get into the science and the morality of all of it. However, so let's just look at who actually is getting the most abortions in the country per percentage of population. So we have a million abortions a year, which is outrageous. The abortion rate in the black community in the city of New York is greater than the birth rate. So if you see a pregnant black woman in the city of New York, she's more likely going to Planned Parenthood than to Manhattan general to have the child. Like that's on, they always said that, by the way, the left always said this would never happen. They said that it would be rare and, you know, what was a cheap rare and I can never get the three words right. Anyway, they say that it would, it would be very rare and not be widespread. That's of course not the case. It's now become a form of birth control, uh, which is just unspeakable. So 450,000 of those million abortions a year are black individuals. But let's talk about how actual, how this is actually, how outrageous this is. So black and black people make up about 13 to 14 percent of the American population. The new census numbers will come out. And I guarantee you that the census numbers will be just about the same portion of the population because the black birth rate just basically has remained the same since the 1960s because of abortion. Right. So the 13 to 14 percent of our countries is, is, is African-American or black. So about half of that are female. About half of that are infant bearing age. So 3 percent of our entire national population accounts for 47 percent of all the abortions. And so if you wanted to stop a birth rate from increasing, if you want, my goodness, you should be like the biggest Planned Parenthood advocate across the country. And by the way, if Black Lives Matter to BLM, wouldn't they be in Chicago where over 120 people were shot in just the last couple of weeks and two teenagers, two black teenagers were gunned down in a convenience store because they asked another black individual, hey, how tall are you? Kills them both. Did you not? Happened in Chicago last weekend. You probably don't know their names. I have their names in here, but. We don't know their names because those those particular deaths do not fit the narrative that BLM wants to accomplish, right? And so I said from the first time I saw the video to the ninth to the hundredth time I saw the video that it's inexcusable what Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd and he should be held criminally accountable. And yet the media said we're divided over this. I have never met a human being and maybe you guys have that defended what Derek Chauvin did. In fact, I, I don't think we weren't divided. We were actually more united around that video than ever before. And yet they used a very emotional video to fit into a narrative that simply does not exist. And then they tried, then they're extending this into the most outrageous things imaginable. One of which is the 1619 project, right? The 1619 project, anyone know what this is? It's, they're probably teaching your kids this unless you're homeschooling. By the way, God bless homeschoolers. We have to double our homeschooling population in the next five years. Like one of the most important things. Big fan of homeschooling. 
So one of the, and by the way, some conservatives are repeating this on television and they get some very strongly worded emails from me afterwards. And one of the lies of the 1619 Project is that America's actually 400 years old, right? That our birthday is not July 4th. It's either in February, April, or whatever the day, actually it might be whatever it is, August, in 1619, when the first slaves arrived to America. This is their argument. And so I see a lot of conservatives all of a sudden saying, yeah, we're 400 years old. Like, you have no idea about American history. So let's, let's walk through it. We were under British colonial rule. We did not invent slavery. Slavery is one of the sickest sins that a human being can do in the eyes of God. Let me make that perfectly clear. It's outrageous. Anyone who participates in it, in it should be held un, criminally accountable here domestically, internationally, and also before the eyes of God. I can't think of, I can think of maybe something even more evil than that, but it's probably one of the most evil things a human being could possibly do, which is enslave another sovereign, innocent life. It's been around on earth for 5,000 years. It's an uncomfortable conversation to have. But everyone from the times of Jesus Christ, there were still slaves that walked the earth, to the prophet in the faith of Islam, he owned slaves, like Muhammad owned slaves. And that's a different conversation for a different time. But how the media just conveniently does not mention that, I think, is incredibly hypocritical. So anyway, so but then we were under British colonial rule. And there were a lot of freedom-seeking religious individuals that came to our country from Scotland and from Ireland, and they founded the United States through 13 pseudo-religious colonies, right? And we did not invent slavery. And in fact, there was already tension in the early 1700s around, is slavery really biblical? And you go to, you go to early writings of who ended up being the founding fathers of the country that were kind of challenging it. And so then what happened in 1774, you have the conflict between Britain and the colonies really start to come to a head. And in 1776, we wrote our birth certificate. This is what we celebrate this coming weekend, by the way. This is not just like a date on the calendar where you, you know, grill hot dogs and get really drunk and watch fireworks, right? This is, this is a time in history where everything changed. And the left will never teach our children this. And this is why we celebrate and we, 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 we do celebrate our country. I shouldn't diminish it, but we should really understand why this date is special because this was when we put an absolute turn in the ground, a pivot away from all of human history. And you read the birth certificate of the United States. It says so clearly that when in the course of human events, it comes time to dissolve ties. Like, whoa, this is a rebellion, folks. Like, we don't believe in what you're doing anymore. And that was, that wasn't just, we don't believe in your taxes, cause that's the, that's the cheap way of describing it, right? It was the authoritarian boot on the neck of the freedom loving Americans. And then you see it so clearly in the laws of nature and nature's God. So it was the recognition that we have natural rights that are given to us by God. Now, the 1619 project and the radical leftists, they'll never teach our children this. But in 1777, a year after that was sent off to King George and the heroes of our country, Hancock, Jefferson, they basically signed what should have been a death certificate. Like, come and find me and kill me and hang me in front of my farm and burn everything down. That's how much they were committed to the cause of liberty. Like, we have no comprehension of that, right? And so so then in 1777, the first sovereign state, Vermont, abolishes slavery. Whoa! You pr- so seven, one year after the declaration, we abolished slavery. So 1776 is the founding of our country, which inspired the abolition of slavery. Not 1619, which was British colonial rule that embraced it and tried to push it on the throats of the American people. We were rebelling against these sinister practices. Now, mind you, in the Constitution that was ratified in the late 1780s and it went back and forth, we set forth a very ambitious goal. Now, mind you, our founding fathers were hypocrites, some of them. Who on earth is not a hypocrite on this earth? Show me the first of you that say one thing and does not do it themselves. However, many of them atoned 
and denounced their own holding of slaves. And some of them didn't hold slaves as widespread, if at all. However, they still shot that North Star that all men are created equal. Show me another country that shot that sort of goal forward and then sacrificed so much to attain it. Understand that the, the downfalls of America or the less than desirable parts of America are universal. Every country had our downfalls. Our positives have always been unique. The country that articulated what it means to express yourself freely, defend your family, the idea of locking in natural rights. You fight a civil war inspired by what party actually was the party that came up with the abolitionist party founded in 1816 in ripen, Wisconsin, the Republican Party. Very convenient. The Republican Party has always been the party of liberation. We should be unafraid to tell the entire world this. And for whatever reason, we have Republicans running to the hills. Like, we should embrace this conversation around race in our country. Because the Republican Party's always been on the right side of race in our country. Always. And so then, we fight a civil war. Bloody, brutal, 600,000 Americans die. To try to eradicate a moral stain on our country. This is a history we should be incredibly proud of because for over 1,900, 2,000 years, human freedom was flatlined. Basically, the course was there is slavery, get used to it. There's high. It took the offspring and the shoot up of America to disrupt that and to change that. And that's what we celebrate this weekend on the independence. I hate calling it July 4th because I think it's just so cheap. It's just like another day on Independence Day, on independence from tyranny and authoritarian rule. And yet so many kids today that I talk to in college, they have no grasp or no understanding at all whatsoever of why this country is the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. Now, mind you, America has made mistakes, but America is not a mistake. That America is a country, without America, the world would be a much darker, much, just it's unspeakably different. And yet it's all being put in jeopardy right now. Right now, our entire country is in a cultural crisis where a majority of young people that go to college think that this flag is a flag of hatred. They think our history is something to be ashamed of. They think that our country is something that was bigoted, homophobic, colonialist, all these awful things, none of which are true throughout the course of our country's history. And so I think you all understand the cultural moment that we're in. But if we do not speak louder than ever before, and call out the lies as we see them with truth, we're not going to have a country anymore. Like, we could sustain it for probably another decade or two, but when you have, and I kid you not, the poll came out today, when you have 44% of college kids that think America's a good country, you cannot, that's not sustainable. It's just not. Like, eventually, that will result in voting, result in behavior, and it will deconstruct the country. And the, the left has been incredibly patient, by the way, for decades and decades and decades. The last power source that we have like it or not, is the Republican Party. Like, that's it. The Republican Party is the last political force that needs to find some backbone or some courage at some point to be able to, to, to denounce exactly what's, not just denounce, but clarify. It's like, I would love to have one Republican senator do this. The Republican Party has always been on the right side of history. The Democrat Party has always cared about people's skin color. The Democrat Party cared about people's skin color in 1860. The Democrat Party cared about people's skin color in the 1920s. The Democrat Party cared about people's skin color in the 1960s. And the Democrat Party cares about people's skin color today. The Republican Party passed the Civil Rights Act, passed the 13th and 14th Amendment, fought a war successfully to eradicate slavery. Literally, the first Republican president was Abraham Lincoln that they're trying to take down right now. The Republican Party passed women's suffrage, which we celebrate, and the left tries to act as if that was the Democrat movement. It was the Republican movement. The first black senator in the U.S. Congress was a Republican. 
Actually, the first 14 representatives that went to Congress were all Republican. The Republican Party is the party of liberation. The Democrat Party is the party of perpetual low expectations and bondage. Which future do you want for our country? Like, I would love to hear a Republican articulate that, but they get scared. And I get, I, they, they're afraid that people are going to call them bad names and all that. Here's one. They're going to call you bad names no matter what. Okay, here's just like an honest truth. Okay. They're going to call you the worst things you can possibly call a human being. And now, and, and more so than any other time, we need people to rise up and say, that is not true. This is, this is why our country is so exceptional and why we need to, to, to essentially articulate what it actually means to be an American again, which is just, I never thought we'd have to get to it. Um, I do want to get to some questions, but let me finish with this, which is, um, if, if we don't, if we don't recognize the mistakes we've made in the last 90 days and we just relock down our country and we're okay with that, I'm afraid for the soul of our country. So I, I was asked today, I say, Charlie, what, what are you most worried about? Like, what should I be most worried about? And I listed things off. I said our education system. I said how the ruling class hates our country. It's a really important and very interesting thing to study. Like, we had a ruling class in the early 1900s that had way too much power. And they were broken up by Teddy Roosevelt, I think, correctly, generally. He overdid his power sometimes, the Sherman Antitrust Act. But Andrew Carnegie... I'm sorry, Andrew Carnegie and Mellon and J.P. Morgan and Rockefeller, they're actually really pro-American. Like, say what you will about the amount of wealth that they accumulated. They love their country. Now we have a ruling class that hates our country. Like, you have Jeff Bezos and you have Sergey Bin and you have Larry Page. You have guys that are the wealthiest people on the planet in our country that are actively trying to destroy our country. It's a really important thing to point out, that our ruling class actually doesn't want what's best for America. But the thing that actually has bothered me the most in the last hundred days, despite the fact that we've seen our entire country get put on referendum and put in jeopardy without people speaking out against it, is how willingly our country abided by the lockdowns. To be honest, it horrifies me, actually. I I, I saw a little bit of spurts here of people protesting. I was like, where's the 200,000 people, right? And I'm going to be, I tweeted this. They will have to arrest me this time. I am not going to follow this nonsense. It's just not going to happen. Like, you're going to have to put me in handcuffs. I'm going to live my life. That simple. Well, that's, that's what people say. I won't get arrested here. But, and, and, and people say you got to wear masks and all this. Look, I think the, I think the, first of all, for those of people that are wearing these like handkerchief masks, I don't mean to offend anyone that's wearing one right now, has no medical utility at all whatsoever. You know, if you're going to wear a mask, just get an N95 mask. Don't do this thing where you make it a handkerchief. There's no medical utility at all. I'm not huge on masks. I think it dehumanizes people, and I think God gave us a face for a reason. Um, but I guess it could be debated whether or not it helps slow the spread of the virus. But with that being with that being said, um, I just don't like the idea that I have to wear one. I'm just, you know, call me a American rebel in some sense. Like, I think that liberty is a pretty special thing. And um, that that's just maybe how I'm built. I think it's a uniquely American concept that you could take responsibility for your own actions. And what's so amazing is we do this all the time. Like there's a lot of hunters in this room, right? I'm sure a lot of hunters. You guys get a hunting license. You go off the grid a little bit. Like if you shoot yourself in the foot, like it's your responsibility at that moment, right? You go get that hunting license to say, hey, I'm willing to take responsibility for whatever happens at this point forward. Like if you incorrectly load a rifle and it explodes in your face, like, well, that's kind of, I'm sorry, like, but you signed up for this program, right? Like we, we have, we have, we have examples of how we, how we operate under this idea of dangerous liberty all the time. Like, what kind of society have we come in where we just convince ourselves we can just be safe all the time? That sounds awful, by the way. That sounds like prison. Like it does. Like, do you want to be at three meals a day and not just be in kind of a, 
a cushioned environment, I guess. I mean, that's that's not the country I want to live in. That's not the country I'm not I'm going to fight for, and I'm not going to abide by it any longer. I'm telling you, these authoritarian governors that come after it, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And I want to say this. Unlike BLM that run around like cowards, if you read Henry David Thoreau's thesis on civil disobedience, I will take the punishment. Like, it's very important. If you are going to disobey a law, don't be a coward. Go, go turn yourself in. So I'm telling any governor across the country, if you have a problem with me disobeying your thing, fine. Lock me up. I don't care. I will take the punishment to show how ridiculous it is. And there's a lot of, the fact that people burned down the inner cities and they still haven't arrested the amount of people that did it and they're arresting Christians that were just going to Eastern Easter church is incredible to me. I just it, it just shows the priorities of the ruling class and the governing class in our country. And so that's that's something that honestly really concerns me. You guys got it right. And you guys, as I mentioned at the beginning of my speech, you have a governor that articulated it because I'm telling you, if they can just lock us down out of fear that quickly, God forbid what else they could do to mind manipulate and to hypnotize our country. Seriously. And I mean, the, I, I, I was I, I predict I'm going to be honest, I, I get more things right than I get wrong. But when I get wrong, I'll tell you when I get something wrong. As soon as they locked down the country on March 13th-ish, I was like, this is not one week. People are in the streets, like waving flags, not going to happen. Like everything is desolate. April, everything is desolate. Palm Sunday, no backlash. Easter, like five pastors speak out and half of them are arrested. I was like, wow, okay. This, This is Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan. If you have read it, it's like, Fear can just keep people crippled. And I'm not saying it's not a real thing. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that the threat of government authoritarianism should terrify people a lot more than COVID-19. It just should. And, And that's some of the lessons of the 20th century. So I don't know how we're doing on time. I love questions the most. Um, and I, I want to have a dialogue. Yeah, we have time. We have tons of time. So, um, just yeah let's let's have a conversation i do want to uh say let's get some uh the younger people to ask questions let's do one every other is that fair because i i want to this i know a lot of students came in from six or seven hours away hi my name is claire reidberg and i just graduated high school so my question for you is i have been told by multiple people this year that i'm a racist because i am white and a trump supporter and i try my best to respond to it in the best way i can but i just wanted your opinion on how you think i should yeah well, first of all, I thought you were going to say, do I think it's true? I'm like, no, I don't think it's true. So let's start with that. You seem like a very decent person. Okay. So first of all, look, this is, this isn't a, this is a tactic of the left. Okay. And how many other people experience this in one way or the other? Okay. So first of all, this takes a sloppy and lazy mind to say this. For good reason, we have said that the worst thing you can be called is a racist in American society, right? It's, it actually cripples people. It's like, it's, 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 you could call people a lot of things, right? But as soon as you say that word, it's like paralytic. It's like, I can't even function now because I'm definitely not, because it's actually, in some ways, that's actually a positive thing because we're so repulsed by the accusation, right? Because we're like, there's no way that's true. Like, I, I actually am a pretty decent person, all this. So first of all, how you respond is first of all, you have to, you have to come up with ground terms. Okay. So this is what I always tell people. When you're communicating with a leftist, which is I do professionally, so I don't know if I recommend it or not. It's a very interesting experience, you know, life, life journey. Um, is first you have to create ground terms. Very important. So listen carefully. You guys probably have leftist relatives or friends or whatever. So um, you have to get them to agree that your intentions are good. It's a very important ground rule 
Because or else you're just going to be talking past each other, right? Now, they might not give you this. They might say, no, I think your intentions are awful, that you want to see people burn and suffer and die. Then there's not even a conversation to have when you think about it, right? Now, if you can agree with them that you're actually a pretty decent person and that you want what's best for human beings to flourish in a strong America, then you can get into the conversation. But if they immediately, their opening shot is because you wear the shirt of Donald Trump, of which I'm a massive Donald Trump supporter, unapologetically, by the way. And um, just because of that, you're a bad person. Um, then the conversation, I mean this as accurately as I could, it's not even worth having, to be honest with you. Like at that point, disengagement and prayer is the only, because if they're going to label 63 million Americans as indecent or deplorable, then they're the indecent, deplorable people, and some conversations at that point are not even worth engaging. Now, if you can get them to be like, oh, you're not an awful person, like, no, that's not good enough. Like, do I want what's best for the world, yes or no? And if they just will not concede, concede it, you're done, right? Because understand, this is a very important thing, and I, I actually go a step further than this, but the left, we think they're wrong. They think we're bad, right? So like, we're like, oh, yeah, leftist policies don't work. Blah, 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 blah. Like, okay, that's all true. And they're like, Republicans are evil. Well, I go a step further. I'm like, leftists don't want what's best for America. I actually say that their worldview is immoral. I go that far. That's not everyone's comfortable doing that. But I think that if you are Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Elon Omar, you do not want what's best for America. It's just that simple. Like you do, your worldview is so backwards. And so, but I don't necessarily recommend that for you. I'm just saying like, that's something that I'm willing to stake that. But if you're able to have a comp, a, a, consensus on decency that you both want what's best for people, then you can have a conversation from there. And I just want to give you some confidence and some reassurance. Don't believe those accusations. Don't let them get personal to you. You're talking to someone who's been called everything under the book by every single platform in the world. I've had every single publication you can name come after me and every single, and they're still coming after me, right? Because I dare to speak truth. And that that's just un, just have a little bit of peace that they wouldn't be calling you those names if you were not saying something that threatened their authoritarian power over the entire country. Okay. He has to hold on to it. Thanks. Yeah. Is it uh, accurate to say that BLM is the spear point of communism? Um, it, it is one of them. Look, I mean, if you if you read Marx. And then you read Jacques Derrida in, uh, I could get his name wrong, French philosophers, they get everything wrong, including their names, um, in the 1960s. Um, so you read Marx, everything's about class struggle, right? Everything's about the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat, uh, communist manifesto, that the rich people versus the working class, all that sort of stuff. He, he got some stuff right. Most of the stuff is absolute nonsense, gibberish, garbage, balderdash. I can keep going, right? And this is what they teach a lot of our kids in universities. What's changed, though, is that they realize that the economic struggle it actually falls on deaf ears. So, so let, let me let me explain this to you, right? So like just dividing people based on income, we called that class warfare, right? So how successful was the Occupy Wall Street movement? Not very, right? So they tried this. It's a very important point. Think about this, right? We had, a, it was kind of similar, right? They took over city blocks. They were organized in messaging, but it kind of fell apart. You know why? Because people said, yeah, I guess that's unfair, but I'm still getting a paycheck and my life's not that bad. I got to pay a mortgage. We're going to move on, right? So the economic warfare argument embedded in communism is not the best way to take over a very wealthy, productive country like America. So they took six years and they rebranded as BLM. What they realized 
is because of what they taught in the school system, white individuals were taught to be guilty for an immutable characteristic of how God made you. That, and by the way, I want to make something perfectly clear. If anyone in this room or anywhere has engaged in the sin of racism, you should atone to your creator and atone to the person that did it. It's an unspeakable thing that you could, you could do. However, if you didn't, then you have nothing to apologize for. Like, you're your own sovereign individual, right? So what they did is they preyed on this through a manipulation of data and through very emotive storytelling to young children who graduated, eventually became college activists, and they convinced us something that is just not true. And for whatever reason, at the right period of time, BLM's nothing new. This has been around for four years, right? And I've been, I've been going back and forth. It's just in this period of time, it was the perfect storm. You guys ever see that movie? Um, it literally is. It's the perfect storm where you had people very pent up in urban cities that have no sports, no gym, no gyms, no ways to socially interact, right? It's just very angry people that are unemployed. By the way, if you look at most successful socialist revolutions, it's when unemployment is above 15 or 20%. It just is. It's, it's a direct correlation with socialist revolutions and high unemployment. This would not have happened in January when unemployment was 3%. They're like, this whole like stealing a big screen TV thing sounds nice. I got to get to work tomorrow. But when there's no work tomorrow, all of a sudden, and there's no school because they closed the schools and the Yankees aren't playing and the Red Sox aren't playing and they canceled March Madness and all the social structures we have going to the gym to see your friends, going to see a movie, going to blow off a little steam, right? All that's gone. Well, yeah, revolution sounds pretty good, right? It gives you purpose. And by the way, it's even worse because then if you post the picture on social media, you feel like a really good person, right? Like you get to say, like, look how good of a person I am. I'm a white person protesting racism. Like you're not that good of a person. You literally just did an Instagram picture of you with a cardboard sign. Like, okay, stop acting like you're a messianic figure, okay? Like go do something useful. And, and like we reward this, like that somehow that they should be given entry into, you know, saint, you know, like the sainthood of the Vatican, right? Like, no, you're just basically a social media activist that's apologizing for something you didn't even do, right? And so all this was a confluence of events. And so now their goal is the same as it was in 2011, is Occupy Wall Street. But they they have us in a paralysis, right? Because we're so afraid to engage on this issue and because we're afraid of being called the worst thing that you could be called, they're gaining ground. Does that make sense? And so, and I, for me, I just happen to be in the right place because they've already called me all these mean names, right? And they've already written all these stories about me. And I've been going to college campuses. I've visited over 150 college campuses in the last five years. I've debated every single leftist of every single stripe you can imagine, from the secular atheist to the anarcho-communist to the socialists to the Stalinist. I kid you not, I've debated a pro-Stalinist guy. It's brilliant. You should look it up on YouTube. Um, he's like, he's a Stalinist truther. He thinks Stalin didn't kill anyone. And he was this wonderful guy. He's like, really interesting. Um, and so... For me, it wasn't like wasn't a surprise when this came on the scene. So then we spoke louder than ever, and the explosion and what we've done digitally has really been rewarded that way. But and I think that we as conservatives have to just say, I know who I am, I know who God says that I am, and I'm not going to take this incredible tampering and destruction of my country without me standing up and giving everything I possibly can to it. And like we and, and we've convinced ourselves. We can, and I, I, I sympathize for some of these people, and I want to be very clear here because it's, it's, this is not an easy, it's easy to say, it's hard to do because when the mob comes after you, and if any of you have experienced this, you know what I mean, you actually feel like there's 600 people outside your house. 
it's a very it's a very difficult psychological thing to go through. You're getting a text message every other minute. They're writing local articles in the local newspaper about you. You're like, my whole world is collapsing. Make it stop. It's like, make that noise in my head get out, right? And we think we could just throw them crumbs, right? Like, oh, we'll just rename these bases. Like, that'll make them go away, right? Just go. Uh, we'll, we'll just get rid of these statues. Like, that'll make, them, like, that makes them stronger, actually. That makes them know that their extortionist boycott tactics can get after things that really matter to us. And I, I know it's hard. I, I get it. I've been through it. But at some point, we have to, in the hierarchy of what matters to us, we have to rank truth and the fight for it higher than being called mean lames from the left, okay? And, and that's why I'm a big believer in what, what's being happened tonight and the college Republicans are doing and Turning Point USA is doing because young people need those kind of social structures of people that are still going to be their friends no matter the mean names that are going to be thrown at them. That's a very important thing because a lot of young conservatives are like, I lost all my friends. I lost all my friends because I spoke out. And that's a very serious thing, right? I mean, that's, we kind of say it and we kind of dismiss it. But if your entire social circle blows up when you're 15, that's everything to you. That's like losing a business. That's, that's your life. You spend a lot of time building it, right? You spend summers developing these relationships and just, you say one thing about Trump and you lose all your friends. And, and we shouldn't just dismiss that and throw it under the bus. And so, um, to close your point about the Marxist side of it, yeah, I mean, they are, it is a Trojan horse to try to bring in Stalinist, Maoist, ideas into our country and it is textbook through deleting our history destroying our icons and creating an insurgency within america and so um appreciate the question thank you next question uh hey charlie thanks so much for coming uh so <clears throat> quick question uh essentially my brother and i we uh, actually run our own show called buck and bronco on social media you should check it out but uh, we, a uh, quick story about us. We graduated from USC, um, not too long ago, uh, engineering and broadcasting. Southern in, California? Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. In LA. And then we came back and once we graduated, it was actually really difficult to find jobs. And it was really, you know, pretty interesting. And the interesting thing is that we really couldn't find, uh, really solid work until we actually got back to South Dakota. And, uh, the funny thing, I, I took a job at a hotel and I, we're selling out virtually almost every night, and it's been that way since May. And so people from around the country really seem to be coming here to escape the prisons of COVID and yeah. everything else. And so I'm just curious uh, if you could, I mean, you've already alluded to this you know, a little bit. If you could just keep bragging about South Dakota, yeah, you got really it. appreciate well, it. Well, it comes to the price, though, guys, because you're going to have a lot of people that want to change your state that are going to be coming here very soon. So understand, when you're a beacon of freedom, what does the left do? destroy everything it touches, right? Just ask Arizona, just ask Nevada, just ask Colorado. Previously, yeah, Seattle, but those three states in particular, look, the left, they're moving eastward from the, from California and South Dakota's on their, they've destroyed Montana. Uh, Montana's now like a purple state. Who knows what's going to happen there? If you know Montana, you know it very, very well. And this is on their radar. And so you guys better be very vigilant about what a Republican means in the state, who you're, <laughs> well, I mean, by the way, just so you understand, your tax code is incredibly attractive to a lot of people. And so you are going to see, and I t you could, you will air this video in 10 years from now, and I'll be proven correct. You have 800,000 people more or less today. You'll have 1.2 million in 10 years. I'm telling you right now, you will see a population explosion in this state, uh, the likes of which you are not ready to in undertake, and it will change. I hope it does not change the state. I, I, I've talked to probably 10 people that say they're moving. Uh, out, of, out of the major cities are going to South Dakota or somewhere, or they're moving from Montana, which has like a really, really high tax, higher than here, and they're, and they're moving, and they will hopefully not bring their values with them. But I'm going to brag as much as you possibly can because you guys got a great governor and great people and a really good culture. Just um, please protect it, guys. Protect good things. The Bible tells us to do that. Protect your state, seriously. So 
No, that's right. But, I mean, by the way, yeah, exactly. You guys, you guys have these beautiful advertisements, right? Like, what is it? South Dakota, the land of liberty or something. It's this beautiful advertisement. And I see it everywhere. I'm like, stop it. Take this down. Like, the, the left is going to come very soon. Like, stop it. They, they look at, they take these things very seriously. What is it? Yeah, build the wall. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Protect what is good. Oh my gosh, they'll destroy it. Okay. Okay, so my question is, being a conservative woman on a, a woman on a liberal university campus can be difficult. Um, what would you say is the best advice you have for someone like myself or the rest of us college Republicans or Turning Point USA leaders? How can we approach those liberal um, professors and liberal friends yeah. of ours um, on campus when we return in the fall? So are you Madison, Rachel, or Holly? Madison. Madison. Okay, thank you for helping plan the event. You should give it up for them again. So it's great. Um, so, sorry, thanks. So I get this question a lot. Let's start with a kind of a tangent of that, where people say, Charlie, I'm afraid I'm going to be graded differently because I'm a Trump supporter and I'm a conservative, right? Would you think that's a fair thing that sometimes you go through? Yeah, and so I'm sure other young people are afraid of that. So I get this question a lot. Charlie, what do I do? So you got to make a decision early on. And there's no right or wrong answer here. There just isn't. I have a lot of respect for Ben Shapiro. We disagree on this, just so you understand. He's in the other camp than where I am. Um, he doesn't disagree with my analysis of it. He disagrees with what he did and what he would do. So you have to either say, I, what matters most to me is getting good grades, getting out as quickly as possible, and getting into a good job, and therefore I can influence conservative opinion. Very respectable, you know, idea, right? I'm going to say what I have to say. I'm going to write all this leftist nonsense on my paper. I'm going to graduate as quickly as possible with straight A's, and then we're done, right? So that, that's what's... I take a different view. This is my... I actually think grades are somewhat immaterial. Mind you, I have to preface this. I never went to college, so I'm sort of anti-academy as it is. So that's just kind of... And I'm not like anti-college. I just... Anyway, that's... So I, Ben Shapiro goes to Harvard. I don't go to college. You can kind of see how we came at these answers, right? So um, <laughs> a little bit different. So um, I, 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 I don't think there's a light switch that you could turn off and on of when you fight for truth and when you don't. I think that's a really dangerous game to play, honestly. Uh, some people can do it. Some people have demonstrated it. Ben is one of the people that demonstrated it, where he brags about how he wrote all the leftist nonsense throughout Harvard, got straight A's, you know, graduated uh, mag mag magna cum laude, and then became a super outspoken conservative, right? And I have a lot of respect for him for that. I'm not really wired that way. I can't like just sit idly by and let false things be said and let professors bash our country. So that's, that's the first thing. And so then if you decide, it's a very important precondition, if you decide to go into schooling or you know, into these environments saying, yes, I'm going to fight for truth. I don't care what happens to me. Under, you, you might lose all your friends. You might get kicked out of fraternities and sororities. You might be called the worst things in the world. And I don't recommend that. <laughs> I'm just warning you, right? That the, the cost that the left puts against you, if you dare support our president right now, is incalculable if you look at what young people have to go through. I mean, they will pers they will tar and feather you metaphorically. They will post about you on social media. They will call your future employers and try to have them not hire you. They will make sure that they cancel your internships. They will do scorched earth life destruction. So that's why I try to speak out as loud as I can to try to be a shield 
for young college kids to just like attack me, don't attack them type stuff. And, and, but they still get in trouble for me. They put, they share my, they share my stuff and then they get deleted. Like, like oh, come on. And so then, uh, could you not? Someone got in trouble and almost got kicked out of school because they were liking my posts, not even sharing them. Right. And, um, it's just, this is what this, this is the type of stuff that people have to go through. And so that's a very important thing. And I, I know that's not an answer. It's just kind of more of a two options. Um, but I'm not going to lie to you. There is no way to thread the needle where you can stand in this environment right now and say, I love Donald Trump. All lives matter. White privilege is a racist divisive lie. You can't say that and then just kind of like squeak idly by and then keep all your friends. Like not going to happen. Sorry. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> like, like that, that's not, that's not a world that exists right now. And, but I will say it's incredibly liberating once you lose all those friends. I've been through it. Um, it's actually, it's a freeing experience. Um, I, I highly encourage it, by the way. No, it's, it's, because I, I, I was almost like, I was almost like in bondage to these prior relationships of people that hated our country. And <laughs> no, I'm going to say what I believe and I'm going to make new friends and I have and it's awesome. And, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of, that's kind of part of my advice there. But if there's one takeaway, just understand it's going to be brutal. If you decide to engage in it, it will be brutal and it will be personal. But keep fighting. We got your back. Okay. So thank you. Yes, I have a question. I, before I came here today, I was at a ice cream shop down here and I was, uh, getting, standing in line for an ice cream. There's four little teenagers over here, two guys and two girls, and there was about 50 other people standing around. And the gentleman, the young kid, dropped his ice cream comb and it flopped on the top of it and went on the ground. He got on his hands and knees and bent over on his belly and went to get and lick it up while the girls were laughing. And then the other fella went over and did the same thing. So I'm looking at this and I'm, and I'm saying to myself, well, wait a minute. Okay. I'm 67. Maybe this, I'm a little too old and this is just, you know, kids do these things. And, uh, but here is there's this corona epidemic and they're licking off the, ground and then the other one does it i'm saying to myself well wait a minute something's not right here am i just too old so my question is to you uh i'm 67 like i said you're probably 40 years younger what's your answer that a kid this day would do something like that uh you know and god knows i've done some pretty stupid things in my life to impress girls but i thought licking the ice cream off and then the other guy does it and they're laughing at him so my question again, you're a lot younger than me. What's your explanation? What's your thought on something when you see that? I wanted to say something, but I said, nah, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God forbid I try to get into child social psychology tonight. I mean, how much time you got, right? I mean, but look, I mean, why did they do that? Because their parents didn't smack them on the head and tell them don't eat ice cream off the floor. That's why they did it. I mean... His mother was sitting in the car watching him. Right, that's what I mean. She didn't smack him across the head and tell him not to do that. I mean, this, this, that's why. I mean, look, this, is, this is goes back to the fundamental disagreement we have in our country where the left will value the primitive over the civilized. They'll value the infant over the mature adult. And I'm not just, I don't know about your, I didn't witness your example, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, parents want to be kids' friends today. They don't want a parent. I mean, we, this, I could go on for a long time about this. I'm happy to, cause I, I could teach a whole parenting class. I've never been a parent and, you know, but I, I deal with the byproducts of bad parenting all the time. Um, it's called the left. <laughs> so, and so we should teach our kids self-control, not self-esteem, first of all. 
this whole idea that you're like the greatest person in the world and you're eight years old or 12 years old, then why the heck are they going to school if they're perfect, right? In fact, it, it, it creates a false construct and it creates kids that will immediately rebel because they can never live up to the expectation of what they've always been told in the self-esteem generation. I always, I remember I got in huge fights with my teachers because they'd have these ridiculous posters that they thought would like lower the depression and suicide rates, but actually contributed to them, where they had these ridiculous big emoji smiling faces. Self-esteem, you're just perfect the way you are. And like, if I'm perfect the way I am, can I just skip the tests and just like not come to school anymore? Like seriously, I mean, if I'm perfect, it's, it, first of all, it's just not, it's not fair to kids to say that. The example, I can't get into the uh, left unregulated children will do incredibly foolish things. That's why we have parents left unregulated. The left will do incredibly foolish things. That's why we have an opposition party. Right. And it's the exact same thing. I mean, so you try to reason this. We have standards. We have moral codes. We have rules for our society. And Rousseau talked about this, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the foolish French philosopher from the 1700s. And he, he wrote very simply that we have to have a return to infancy, that he thought the industrialization and this idea of mature dialogue was not good. In fact, I, I, right here, he says, I prefer the pr- primitive or the civilized, the child of the adult, the passionate over the calmly given, sp- the, pal- the calmly um, loyal spouse. I mean, he, he, he argued in a lot of different ways, and the Rousseauian thinking is so instructive to the left that somehow that we have to stop all these societal norms, start to make sense how you get a place like Portland and Seattle all of a sudden. Like, no, there's actually something really good about not defecating in the street. Like, that's a really good thing that we achieved as a country. Like, the public drug usage, another thing that we probably shouldn't have allowed happen. Also, um, this idea of legalizing prostitution should never be allowed to happen. I'm also, I, I, we used to be on the wrong side. I, not the wrong side, on the other side. I used to be kind of like libertarian about this. I'm so against the legalization of marijuana. I can't even tell you. I just, I see it. It has incredibly disastrous and destructive side effects. And people say, well, Charlie, don't you let people do it? And I say, hold on. What kind of culture does it create though? Like, okay, fine. The usage of it, whatever. I'm not saying you should lock someone up for 10 years, but the legalization and glamorization and commercialization of it, does that create a very healthy country? And I say, Absolutely not. Like, I think it does the exact opposite. And so I don't, I don't want a set of policies that's going to do something that I think that will make our country weaker and not more able to you know, compete against China and hopefully defeat them in one way or the other. But the close, I can't answer the question of why the kids do that, except the fact that there was a poor parent that was wa- watching idly by and supervising and not parenting. And so if we want, if, I'm happy to get into parenting all throughout this, but um, I, I think that this state probably has more good parents than bad parents just because of the ethos of this. And by the, by the way, there's, I, 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 was it Gwen Stefani or what was the girl that, uh, Charlize Theron, right? That's kind of close, right? Charlize Theron, um, complete and total rubbish fool, right? She's letting her adopted son become a girl, right? It's something like that. It's child abuse. It just is like no kid. I mean, you know what happens like when a kid goes and starts eating dirt? You're like, stop doing that. Go back inside. Like you, this idea that you should just let your kid be whatever they want to be. It's, it's actually, it, it creates really unhappy, miserable people is what it ends up. The, the aged wisdom of a parent is there for a reason. You can get wisdom in two, two ways in life, from the Bible or from experience. That, that, that's about it, right? So just read the Bible all day long or live a long time and you're going to become really wise. What do you do with wisdom? You impart it on young people, right? Like that, that, that's what you do. Like this is not a good idea. Don't do this. And like, then you do it again. And then you do it like louder and then you force it on them. And then eventually they might get the message. That's why we had a functioning society for the last hundred years. It's why it worked. 
That's why we had men that said, I am going to go into the machine gun turret on D-Day Beach and sacrifice for something that is good and righteous and noble. Just doesn't happen that way. Just doesn't. And so, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, that's very kind of you. Well, thank you. I, I guarantee you I'm just as flawed as everyone else. But yeah, next question. So um, my question is, let me kind of start with, my, so I'm a pretty outspoken guy. And, you know, I, I enjoy kind of sharing my, my conservative views. And I find it that I'm speaking for the good. But like, for example, my history class, I attended public school this last year. My history class, there was Myself and one other person, we were the only conservatives. And when I would speak out, I almost felt like it was creating more of a divide. And, you know, I, I appreciate what you do, but sometimes I find that my narrative that, and it, kind of all of our narratives, are creating more of, of a divide. But at the same time, I know I can't be silent. Yeah. And, you know, it's the whole thing is kind of it's impacted a lot of like, for example, I enlisted in the military about two months ago. And part of the reason I did that is because I worry that if I had went to college, you know, so many people are thinking the opposite way that I'm thinking that. I mean, I don't know how many, you know, what kind of balance like do I be silent? Do I speak out? Because then I just worry that it's going to yeah. create more divide of a divide. So, so where, where what? Where's the balance? Good, good question. First of all, thank you for, you said you enlisted for your service. Thank you for that, by the way. Thank you. Let, let's, let, let's work through this together, if that's okay. So um, why is a divide a bad thing? Um, I, I think it would be great if our country could kind of like, I, I don't know, isn't, isn't it bad that our country would be divided? Like, well, but let's say, let's say one side wanted to destroy the country and one side wanted to have the country succeed. Wouldn't a divide be necessary? I, I mean, yeah, it, it would. But I don't think that everybody on, on the left wants to destroy our country. Okay. So who's doing the dividing when you speak truth, you or them? They are. So that's not your problem. But I, I don't want to create... I don't want to co- contribute to the divisiveness. Like, so... I'll, I'll, I'll ask one question. So I do think the left wants to destroy our country. I don't think every leftist wants to, right? But let's, let's work through it. Sometimes divides can be very healthy and good. In fact, I think we need a choice, not an echo right now in our country. I think that when people actually can have dividing lines, it's actually the healthiest way to be able to come, come through a cultural crisis. I think just like the vanilla middle, in a lot of ways, is very, very dangerous. So for example, I think it's a really good thing if someone says something like, I don't believe I think murder is bad, and someone says, I think murder is okay. That's a division, right? I, someone says, I think America's awful, I think America's good. That's a division. So I'm not necessarily saying it's that black and white. However, don't necessarily think a division is a bad thing. It's not. In fact, it could be very healthy. In fact, this is why we have dialogue and why we have a First Amendment. Because the way that you actually are able to work through those divisions is through saying, well, that's a really bad idea. And you're only able to expose that idea if you're, if you're willing to divide yourself, right? And so, but the unwillingness to ever say we can never be divided in a lot of ways does not allow bad ideas to be defeated and good ideas to rise up. In fact, some of the most, and you know this from arguments you guys probably have in your personal life, sometimes the greatest fruit can come out of the most intense conversation you can have with somebody, right? Where all of a sudden you guys just let leave it all on the line. The same is for a country, though, right? Like if we're not at, if we're not willing to say, I'm going to stand irrefutably on this, and I don't really care if it 
put eventually you, the truth will win and the good ideas will win. And so I, I, you have a really good heart. I can sense that. But don't, in my opinion, don't allow the idea that division is going to be the worst possible thing for the pursuit of truth. In fact, that dividing line where you protect the truth around that line, I think is actually necessary towards advancing it. Because if we had more people that were unafraid to say, I don't really care what this ends up happening, and you said it yourself, they're the ones doing the dividing, right? So that's, again, it's more morally on them than you. Again, if you're, divi- if you're engaging in like, oh, this, and people say, well, I just want everyone to get along. That's not going to happen, okay? That, that is a, that is, in this, in this state, in our country, we are so far apart, you know, just philosophically and diametrically. So where we have some people that will say, America's a bigoted, homophobic, racist, colonialist country. I can't negotiate with that, right? Like that's, <laughs> I'm going to divide from that. And so I think that's a really important thing. I'm not saying you should seek it either. It's a very important point, right? I'm not saying you should go forth and try to divide people, but instead say what is true. And then whatever happens from that point forward, just surrender to what, you know, to the, to the flow of conversation and then hold your ground. But I understand that for you, it's uncomfortable because you want to bring people together, right? Unfortunately, when you have such opposition that's committed to untruths, Unity is a byproduct of the collision that needs to happen from there. Okay? Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, I'm Chantel Johnson. Thank you for coming to South Dakota, by the way. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm a Native American, and I get in trouble at school a lot and from my uh, liberal relatives for sticking up for my race and also when I say all lives matter and for supporting my President Trump. They all call me racist. Can you help me with some points on what to say and how to stand up for myself? Well, first of all, thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. So, and I am, I, I, don't, I say this every time. If, there's, if there's, there's parts of American history we should be very ashamed of, our treatment of indigenous people is not something we should be very proud of. In generally, I'm just saying that there's a lot that I think is highly questionable. Um, and also, especially with you look at Native American reservations now, we added insult to injury by just pushing forth unbelievably dangerous and corrosive government programs, the Native American reservations that have destroyed the spirit and destroyed the entrepreneurial capacity. And, and just quite honestly, it's immoral what we did through public policy to the Native American reservations through the amount of help that we put forward, which ended up not helping at all. So interestingly enough, you can use identity politics against the left, right? So you are a Native American, right? You said? Yeah. uh, Awesome. Well, so because of that, I love your Trump shirt, by the way, because of that, if you understand the laws of the left, like I do, you can use it against them. So because you're an indigenous person on their hierarchy of oppression Olympics, a native person is inherently oppressed. So therefore, they're not allowed to say anything to you and that you have the moral high ground. Then you can kind of blow up the absurdity of it by saying this, right? And the fact that they're calling you those names just shows how incredibly racist the left actually is, by the way. Um, the fact that, they'll, that they go out of their way to say that. Um, and this is something that, you know, we play these games with the left all the time where Candace Owens says, you know, why she's, she's terrific. And she was with us at Turning Point USA for a couple of years and incredible where she's a black female. Right. And according to their hierarchy, she's supposed to be oppressed. Right. She's supposed to be an oppressed individual. She's like, I'm not. I'm actually, you know, very happy to succeed in this country, all these sorts of things. And so, first of all, don't let it get to you. OK, fight harder and know what you believe and why you believe it. 
And I'll say this final thing. Unfortunately, if you are in one of the oppressed categories of the left and you're not part of the left, they are more vicious to you than they'll ever be vicious to me. And it's a very hard thing to talk about. The, mo- the most blatant racism is towards black conservatives, towards Hispanic conservatives, towards Native American conservatives and Trump supporters. So know that they are calling you those names because you're a disruption to their matrix, right? That you actually show that their ideas are morally bankrupt, that any person can believe anything, that no one has to believe anything because of the color of their skin. And so for you, you should speak louder and get a bigger platform than ever before because people like you are going to blow up the left in this country. They really, you really will because you're, you are living evidence that no matter what your skin color or where you come from, you can believe in conservative values. They don't think that. They think, and Joe Biden said this, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. First of all, could you imagine if a conservative said something like that? Incredibly racist. They think your skin color is tied with your political affiliate. I don't believe that. I don't think anyone has to believe anything based on the color of their skin. I think that if you're decent, you should be a conservative, and anyone of any skin color could be decent, right? I think that's actually the division in America is decent versus indecent, but that's a whole different conversation, right? I think it's the left versus reason. Different conversation, too. Anyway, so, but if you're reasonable and decent, you could believe in anything. And that's why we as conservatives believe in in one of the parts of the American Trinity, right? So there's the, the Holy Trinity that those of us in the Christian tradition know. And then Dennis Prager articulates the American Trinity, which is in God we trust, liberty, and e pluribus unum. Now, e pluribus unum, you could use this to your friends, right? To make, make you sound like really smart because you're a conservative and they're not. So um, <laughs> on all of the presidential seals, there's a Latin phrase called e pluribus unum. And it's a Latin phrase that says, out of many, one that we're all made in God's image. We all come together no matter our background, our race, our creed, our tradition. You should ask your friends, do you believe in that? And if they say yes, then they should never call you those names, right? If they say no, they don't believe in the core trinity of our country. And that's a beautiful thing because not every country has a founding value of that. Not every country has a founding value of, I actually care more about your worldview and not about your skin color. But I know it's tough. I know you get a lot of names called at you. Hold the line and we have your back, okay? God bless you. Thanks for being here. Hey, uh, thanks for coming. Uh, My concern are these big tech companies. We have YouTube, um, Facebook, and these companies are bigger than anything Teddy Roosevelt ever had to break up. They're more powerful, too. They're more powerful. They're global. They're getting involved with the government, which is really the classical definition of fascism, government and private industry. But they, they're they censoring people, demonetizing people, but yet they're so important to get the message out. And we have certain outliers like the Blaze where they're not, they're independent, but you have to subscribe to them, and it's kind of like yeah. they're preaching to the choir. So I guess my question would be then how do we deal with that? And where do you see that going? Does government have to change rules on that? Thank Thank you you for the question. I completely agree with your concern on it. Um, So here's a really interesting thought exercise, and this will become the most important issue. And for young conservatives out there, we understand the issue of tech censorship very well because we interact so much with the tech companies. What is more powerful, Google or the government? Now, conservatives will usually say the government no matter what you say. And, and, And so 
let's be fair to the argument, right? Like, what can the government do that Google can't do? Okay, the government can lock you up, right? The government can audit you. The government can tax you. Um, but even in all those things, you have rights to due process, right? You can sue your government if you think you've been wrongly uh, criticized, not wrongly criticized, but wrongly prosecuted. Or So there's actually checks and balances there. Not to say that abuse of go- government abuse is something I don't care about. Trust me, I just spent the last hour on it. But what can Google do that the government can't do? Ooh, that's an interesting question, right? Google knows where everyone is right now. Google knows everything you've bought. Google knows all of your preferences, medically and otherwise. And if you don't think they know, they know. And you're like, oh, I don't use that stuff. If, if you've even visited a public place, they have facial recognition with all the corporate stores, everything, credit card history, more so than the, gov- the government couldn't dream of the kind of super state that they've created. Couldn't even get close to it. Can, Google can topple a government. Google could manipulate search results, ma- manipulate public opinion, put certain videos up higher, certain videos down lower. What ideas matter more? The government does not actually have that power. In fact, the government has the impartial power to say, let all speech happen, you know, whatever. It's kind of scary, isn't it? So Google works 24-7, seven days a week. Thousands and thousands of very, very smart anti-American employees that work in Menlo Park and other places. And it's true. They have internal emails leaked from Google show their bitter hatred for America about how they have to do more to try to make sure Trump doesn't win and all these sorts of things. So like, wow, that's so then what do we do about that? Okay, so let's take a step back. We as conservatives, we don't like government. We don't like using government. I'm right there with you. Trust me. Like, I don't, it kind of bothers me that we could even talk about a private company that powerful, but it's just the way it is. It's not just them, by the way. It's Google, it's Amazon, it's Facebook. It's all, they all have incredible power and mind manipulation, pseudo hypnotic stuff that they're able to do, right? Okay, so then we look at the Federalist Papers. Let's go back to our roots. Right, Federalist Papers written by the founding fathers. They keep, a P word keep, keep, is repeated many times throughout the Federalist Papers. We're worried about power, centralized power, centralized power. And then at the end of a lot of the essays, I think it was Federalist Paper like 187 or something. They say, and the greatest power is government. Right, so the founding fathers were worried about power before they were worried about government. Of course, the greatest power they could imagine was a government power. Right, it was the 1780s. The question is, what happens when a power gets more powerful than the government? And this is an unpre- this question has never ever happened in American history. In the early 1900s, the only close thing that could get to it is when J.P. Morgan bailed out the federal government twice. And we, as a reaction to that, we created a national bank, basically, right? We created the Federal Reserve, which I think was a big mistake, uh, in, right, right, 1914, 1915, 1917, I can't remember, Federal Reserve Act. So it's a real serious question, and here's where my opinion is. First of all, Republicans, including any Republican in this state, should not take any money from the tech companies, period. They should not take any sort of political contributions from Google or from Twitter or from Amazon. They should not have their political campaigns funded by the tech elites that want our entire country to go in a different direction. That's number one. Number two, I think we have to have a serious conversation of platformer versus publisher. We really do. Um, I think that Section 230, the Communications Decency Act, allows... Google and all these companies to act with total immunity to be able to kick, to basically say, oh, we're, we're a platform. We're not a publisher. I have a lot of questions. That's a real legally technical thing. But just so you understand, if Google doesn't want Trump to win, Google will win. Just so you know, we can, we can canvas. We can get the polls closer. Google has so much power. They could be like, oh, your polling place is actually here. Or they could say the amount of mine. I encourage all of you to watch the movie, the creepy line. If you haven't seen it where it goes into the sophistication of web browsing history, of how they're able to, ch- to in, in, 
instant nanoseconds, see how one letter, one color makes a difference in favor of a certain candidate or in a certain person or party. Independent analysis done by a guy named Robert Epstein. Not that Epstein family, don't worry. But Robert Epstein, Democrat, Dr. Robert Epstein, uh, wrote extensively about how Google can, is basically a hundred times more powerful than the federal government. In fact, it's the federal government that goes to Google for information. It's the federal government that hires Google for information. And when Google decides to delete YouTube videos like they have with me and just kick you off the platform sometimes, I can't hire an attorney like I can with the government. I can't sue because they're protected by Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. I'm not saying we have to regulate them, but I'm saying at what point do we? That's a good question, right? And if we don't have an answer to that question, then we love the idea of a free market more than we love our country. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I love the free market. But if we don't have a line that when it's crossed, like this is when we use the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission, then I think we have to, then we're not being honest with ourselves. So, but the, the, I cannot be as serious as I am about the threat of tech tyranny in our country. It is, it is incredibly important we all rise up to it. And again, you wonder where a lot of these ideas are made valid. As soon as the BLM thing started, half of the front page of YouTube, which is unbelievably incredible, so valuable real estate to rent out, half of the page was, we know that America needs racial justice reform, like nonstop for, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of hits every single day seeing that. And so that, that stuff makes a difference, not to mention the problems of the algorithm and the delisting and the demonetization. It goes on and on. And I, I could talk about it at length. So. Um, you guys should ask your Republican senators what they're willing to do about it. And if they don't think it's a problem, my goodness, the, the, the tech companies are more powerful than any foreign government or our own government. So anyway, thanks for the question. Next one. Sorry. Hi, thanks for coming. I'm standing here for a long time trying to get my question okay. properly worded. And then I, I just get to the bottom line. The bottom line for me is that um, President Bush... And, um, you know, Clinton and Obama, you know, for as long as I kind of followed more politics, have really um, not spoken, you know, up for American values. And so I was in China in uh, 89, and there was one hotel there, and the rest of it was agrarian and rural. There was nothing there. Okay? And so that was 89. That's not too long ago. My sons are like 25 or whatever. And now, now it's what it is. So it took Trump to come in to smash things up, you know, to like, oh, hey, hello, this is happening. We don't, we don't make anything here. All we do is push information. That's right. And people are all drugged out because they don't have jobs. So you alluded earlier that the GOP doesn't, you know, they're, they you didn't say necessarily per quote, but I feel that the GOP is so out of touch and oh, that they I, haven't that. ever, ever, yeah. you know, stood up and they're not going to stand up. Okay. So I'm, I'm a psychologist. And so, but I haven't always been only for 20 years before that I was in business. Okay. okay? So I just look at humans, human beings and they're fear driven and they're afraid not to be liked. And, um, and then they have, you know, like, uh, family issues from the ground up, you know, problems from, you know, you, from infancy. You are a psychologist. Zero to five. Good. I know. I know. I'm going to stop. Um, but what are we going to do to get the people yeah. riled yeah. up? What's going to happen when Trump leaves? We're going to get another GOP swamper? Well, so that, 
Awesome question. First of all, thank you. So I'm, I'm, I'm a massive Donald Trump fan. And the more I spend time in D.C., the more I spend around time around senators and Congress people, not to say any names, the more repulsed I am by the entire system. It, 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 the, the, the contempt they have for you, no matter what kind of parade they put on, is unbelievable. Both parties, by the way. They don't care about their voters. They don't care about the states they come from. This is a ruling class kingdom of Washington, D.C. It's like they, they go to Washington, they come somebody completely different. Right. And it's it, it, it could, it's it's almost in the water there. And there's some good ones. There's some really good ones. Senator Tom Cotton has been terrific. Congressman Matt Gates, And they should be applauded because they that part of psychology is rewarding good behavior. Right. Like, good job. Keep doing that. However, look, the Republican Party for a long time was made in the image of George Rockefeller and the, the, the descendants of there, not, I might have been George Rockefeller, but Rockefeller in the 1960s and George Romney in the 1960s, okay? This, and if you can go through a little Republican Party history, this is nothing new. There was a collision point in the 60s when Barry Goldwater ran for president and he got clobbered and the establishment wanted Goldwater to lose and he did lose. Collision point 2.0 happens when Gerald Ford ran for president, the only president ever be elected as president of the United States in 1980. Um, runs for the runs for the office in 1976. I'm sorry, loses to Carter in 1976, and who becomes the nominee? Then in 1980, Ronald Reagan. Right? Reagan was detested by the Republican establishment. People hated Ronald Reagan. He was a cowboy, couldn't talk right, all these sorts of things. And Ronald Reagan was the voice of forgotten America. He was the voice of silent America, the silent majority. Nixon used that phrase, but Reagan really was. Reagan, the Reagan Revolution was something that was uniquely American, and he represented all people. Now, mind you, who was the chief of staff for Gerald Ford? The establishment, Gerald Ford. Dick Cheney. We'll get back to that later. So in 1980, Ronald Reagan wins the presidency. Big mistake. He, he makes H.W. Bush his vice president. Never should have happened. Awful mistake. Huge misstep. Never should have let them back into the Republican Party. Should have said goodbye. Go be Democrats. You guys basically are anyway. Right. And and so the, the, the Reagan serves incredibly eight years. H.W. Bush on the Reagan revolution in 88. This is when the party really changed for the worse. We had a lot of good people based momentum that was grassrootsy. And then H.W. Bush basically quells all the rebellion and is like, just vote for me in 88 and wins in 88. Bush undid a lot of Reagan's successes in the first couple months, a lot of it through civil service, through all of that. And they, they didn't like each other very much. They always talk nice about each other in public, all this. Reagan had a philosophically different worldview than George H.W. Bush. H.W. Bush was a CIA station chief. In China, he was a CIA director before he was vice president. He's a very globalist-minded, deep state individual. He just is. He built the deep state. H.W. Bush was the author and the perfecter of the American federal government deep state. He was. Um, he, you're not a CIA director in the 1970s without like basically designing everything that we now know is unbelievably corrupt. Here's the problem. 90s, waste of time. W. Bush, nice guy. That's how we got John Roberts. $5 trillion in debt, Medicare Part D, no child left behind. And quite honestly, I love the service members that have served overseas. I think the Iraq war was a disaster. We never should have done it, be perfectly honest. I think Donald Trump won because he was unafraid to critique the Iraq war. Here's the problem is Republicans, we grew so fat and lazy over the success of Ronald Reagan for 20 years. Our country was kicking tail. We were creating wealth. And we just said, yeah, whatever. We're not going to stand on principle. Starting in the 90s, thanks to Clinton and others, we started to have a huge deindustrialization push in our country. 89, you said you saw that hotel in China, right? We just, we, we were convinced by people in the Republican Party that we're going to be richer because we're going to shut down our manufacturing plants and send them to Shanghai. 
I grew up in this conservative move, that conservative movement. I used to have the white papers from people in DC that'd be like, you don't understand. It's comparative advantage. It's so good. Like we're going to get richer. We're going to all this stuff in return. Why, while there is some fundamental, there is some, a little truth in that. It never looks at the whole picture. When you shut down a manufacturing plant in Vermilion or in Aberdeen with 200 jobs and those 200 people, Half of them end up going on opioids or on government benefits. I don't care how much cheap plastic you bring in from China. That does not make our country richer or better. It doesn't. In fact, it makes our country weaker and more dependent on a flow of garbage that we don't even need from China. And so what we've done is we intentionally and deliberately deindustrialize our country. What Donald Trump did, Donald Trump was a throbbing middle finger to the ruling class. He was. He's like, all of you are corrupt, like all of you. And like, he talked differently and all this. I, I don't care. People are like, oh, well, Charlie, I don't like the way he talks. He should be on Mount Rushmore just for the fact that Hillary Clinton never became president. Like that alone should be a crowning achievement. Seriously. Like the fact that that, that, that incredibly dangerous political family never got into the White House again is like an incredible gift to our country. He could have resigned and we would have said, God bless you and thank you for all you did for our country because you prevented those people from ever getting into leadership, right? You guys can fill in the, fill in the blanks there. And then what happens the moment he gets, okay, I get his tone, his style, his tweets, forget it. Do you like, just, what is he doing for the, the people of our country? And then he gives his inaugural address, which like, whoa, he did something we're not used to, especially some of your politicians here in South Dakota. They don't do this ever. He did what he said he was going to do. Like Christy Nome did it, but boy, some of the people you guys send elsewhere, <laughs> it's like they become different people. And he was like, you know what? No, actually we're going to hold people accountable on trade. I'm going to nominate these people to the Supreme Court. I'm going to hold China accountable. And people were like, wait, I, I thought, you know what the Republican establishment did is like, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. We like, we say that when we campaign, we don't actually do that. Like, no, 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 no. Like you, yeah, you just like talk a good game, get elected and you come to DC and serve the lobbyists and then, you know, do a little thing and th- throw a little crumbs to the conservatives, make sure you don't take their guns away or abortion. Cause that gets them really mad. And then you go back and run for your election. That's what they think of you. And Trump was like, I am serving as an insurgency candidate to save our country. Screw all of you. Now, that did not come with no price. He gave that inaugural inaugural address where he said, we are going to bring our jobs back. We are going to nominate these justices. We are going to make our country strong and great. And they tried to warn him. And Chuck Schumer went on MSNBC January 6, 2017, right before the inaugural. And Chuck Schumer said, I wouldn't keep critiquing the intelligence community. They have 10 ways to get back to you from sun, sunrise. They kind of like said, you better stop, Mr. Incoming President. Don't do this. We're going to make sure you pay for this. And guess what? They did. They spied on him. They had an internal coup within the Federal Bureau of Investigation against him. Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, James Comey, all of them were in on it. They concocted a fake impeachment through Bob Mueller, which ended up not even materializing into an impeachment. Three years, all of his friends go to prison. His kids are investigated. His businesses have to get shut down. His net worth goes down by 80%. Like, yeah, and then then they say, like, who's, who's going to run for president after this, right? And yet he continues to do what he said he's going to do, continues to double down. And then on top of that, they actually impeach him because of a phone call, right? Like, oh, now, now one phone call with the Ukrainian president where you ask, like, how the election is, is now justification for impeachment of the president. We forget, by the way, that our president was impeached like six years ago. And what they were doing is they were impeaching all of you. What they were really saying is, sit down, citizens. Let us, the ruling class, make the decisions. This is what happens when you try to rise up against us. They hate all of us. 
And there's a couple good ones there, but I've seen the contempt and the anger they have for us. And this is why I just, I do everything I can to defend the man. And I understand that all, some people are like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like, just, just, it's very simple. It's Democrats versus the America, right? It's like, it's that simple. It's, we don't have a country if, if Joe Biden, can I get Joe Biden, my goodness, becomes, I don't even think he knows what he's running for, to be perfectly honest for you. I don't think he's like, he doesn't know. Seriously. I mean, he's like, am I president yet? Is that a thing? Like, I don't know. He doesn't. Anyway, to close the point, all of us have to recognize that the leaders we send to D.C., as you articulate it, they're actually, a lot of them, they are people pleasers. Like, we have to give them very clear instructions as to what they can do. No, seriously. And this is why an active Republican Party is so important. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a Republican Party. I think, unfortunately, we live in a binary system. You're not going to have a third party. It's just not going to happen. They, they're going to have a very consolidated 40% of the country. However, for Republican, that does not say we are going to close all trade with China within five years and bring back jobs to South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, they're serving the interests of the lobbyists and the ruling class. For people that are not willing to stand up to Huawei, stand up to TikTok, which I can get into that for a whole different, like they are harvesting all your kids' data and you don't even know it, by the way. If you're using TikTok, the Chinese are listening to everything they do. They have a back end to everything. It's awful. Get into that. Here's the point. We have an opportunity to defend this president and reelect him. If we reelect Trump, and I know that things don't look good. I don't believe they're as bad as people say. Polls are nonsense. But I don't think things are trending positively. I just don't. I think that he has to have a little bit of a pivot right now. And a lot of it's not his fault. Almost most of it is not. But if we reelect him, we can send a message to all of these people that we're actually still in charge. And that's nothing could be more important, in my opinion. Because if if we allow them to win after all this, it really should put a lot of things in question whether we still have the country we think we have. Look what they did against him. The impeachment, the the spying, all of this. And they're cheering for a recession and all this. And so um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I think that – and then, by the way, there are Republicans right now, some of which may or may not represent states that are close to this or this state, that are cheering and hoping that this Trump thing just ends and go back to business as usual. My goodness, I'll tell you right now, if there's any state that should run these people out of office, it's this state. This is a decent state. This is a liberty-loving state. And there's no room for people like that in the Republican Party, period. I know we're running late, but whatever. So, Thank you for coming to Rapid City. We love our town. We love our state. And we're very happy that Thank you're here. You, you have... Uh, reiterated a lot of the history that I was thinking of in terms of Goldwater's conscience of a conservative and and uh, the um, silent majority. Uh-huh. I'm not sure that the Republican Party has moved very far from that. And the reason I say that is that we have seen recently an opportunity for the left and the whether we call them anarchists or the uh, the left um, uh, liberals, uh, rise up all of a sudden over an opportunity. That opportunity had nothing to do with their real cause. They had organized and been funded yeah. and sat back and waited for the opportunity. And I'm speaking about uh, Mr. Foreman or Mr. Uh, Floyd's uh, debt. Why is it that the Republicans, now you've given good provision and, and, op, and ideas to our young people, but why is it that we as a party collectively 
just sit back and wait, and then when it happens, we go, oh, my God, isn't yeah. that terrible? So two, two answers on that. I'll give you the, the answer that is pretty magnanimous, and then I'm going to give one that's pretty harshly critical. How about that? Okay. So the magnanimous one is that we're actually really decent people, that conservatives and Republicans, the most important thing for us is not political wins. It's building our family, strengthening our church, acting morally and ethically, and serving our God. And so when societal revolution happens, it surprises us because we're not involved. That's not the most important thing to us. In fact, if all of us could just make sure the government doesn't totally destroy our country and erode our freedoms, we would happily just go do something that we actually have a greater passion for, which might be helping out a church or growing a business or something that's very productive building, right? Where the left, all they care about is politics. They eat, they breathe, they sleep. All they do is activism. That's it. That's the magnanimous answer. Here's the harshly critical one. There's an incredible crisis of courage in the Republican Party. And I've seen it. I've, I've been around it. And the best thing I could possibly tell you is that a lot of Republicans run because they, they, they want to be loved. Wrong thing to do to run for office is to be loved, first of all. Secondly, um, Secondly, a lot of them are, and I can dive into this historically, they're very afraid to take it on the chin for the country. It's kind of like, yeah, I'll kind of say something, but not me type deal. That's what makes Trump so different. He just throws it all out there, right? And they will try to destroy you. Like, I'm perfectly, I don't do this without mincing words. Like, they will come after me. They've come after my family. They will audit your businesses. Like, this is not a game to them, guys. This is not like, oh, a policy debate in the U.S. Senate. And that's what they think this is. They think this is like something that you can kind of submit amendments to. Like, no, this is a brass knuckle war for the future of America. Like, are we going to have a country? And so um, there's a crisis of courage. And so courage is the hardest to find of the good traits. It's not the most important. Integrity and honesty is the most important. But I don't think that if, you're, if you have integrity and have honesty and you don't have courage, then why even have integrity and honesty, in my opinion? Just, what, are you going to be honest to yourself in your room alone? Like, come on, right? Courage is standing up above your current status and willing to sacrifice something that you care about for an ultimate truth. That's the party we have to demand. So here's what you do. You give your Republican elected officials very clear instructions. The psychologist said it best. She was very... People don't want to be hated. So tell them if they do certain things, we'll applaud them of it. If they do other things, they'll be condemned. For example, if you don't show up to be with the president on July 3rd at Mount Rushmore, we're going to primary you. If you do show up, we're going to think you're great. So if one of the U.S. senators doesn't show up there to greet the president to visit South Dakota, look very carefully. I'm hearing lots of things. He should be primaried. If he's there, he should be applauded. I think that's pretty agreeable position. So you guys can kind of guess who's going to be there and who's not. I'm hearing lots of different things that people might not be showing up because whatever. I, I, I don't know what could be more important on July 3rd if the president visits your home state. Sure. I know Christy Nome will be here there. That's how much I know. <laughs> Very clear instructions, right? The left does this really well. If you dare cut abortion funding, we will primary you, right? And so this is not in our nature. It's not in our fiber as conservatives, but we got to get like it. We just do. We have to have a no tolerance policy for anyone that does not abide by very certain, very easy to follow instructions as Republicans, right? And stop growing government. Stop borrowing money. Only nominate justices 
you know, that will interpret the Constitution. I see the Convention of States people. They do a great job trying to represent our, these states and many others. And so that, that's my final, my final point to that. So thank you so much. I do appreciate it. So last question, okay? Well, I wanted the Cubs one, so maybe we'll do two. <laughs> so really quick, though, really quick. Really quick. This is a question on the Durham report. Do you think that there will be Durham. Oh. repercussions for these Democrats that have done all this, or will they just fly away? Do you, uh, you want me to answer this honestly, right? Yes. I'm incredibly cynical. Okay. So um, I don't think that, I mean, you might see a couple slap. The question was about the Durham report, if you guys didn't hear it. Um, I'm very cynical. I don't think people will be held accountable for what they did. If they are, they'd be a slap on the wrist and, you know, maybe a little bit here and they'll sacrifice it up. It, when you're in politics enough, you realize the ruling class almost always protects their own. And Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, they're within that kind of, you know, circle if you will. And I do not see anytime soon they're going to be perp walked for what they did to our country. Even um, Hillary? Even, you don't oh, think Hillary anything? will not go to prison in our lifetime. Trust me. That, that, has, that should never be said again. Okay. Just, that's not going to happen. Like, no. And I, I, ho- I know that's depressing for a lot of people. Just get it out. That just, if that makes you cynical, then so be it. Just not going to happen. There is a agreement between the ruling class right and the ruling class left that you do not go after certain people. You don't go after the Bushes. You don't go after the Clintons. You don't go after the top levels of the FBI or the CIA. just doesn't happen. And if you step out of accordance with it, if you do something they don't like, like David Petraeus, then they'll go after you on some sort of technicality crime. Like that's just, that's what they do. They'll find some procedural thing. Like Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, he was warned, he was warned, he was warned. Obama and Biden personally oversaw the targeting of Flynn to destroy his life. Now, Peter Strzok, who's not a rocket scientist, never hire that guy if you're going to do a bank robbery because he'll write down exactly what you do after you do it. I mean, he writes on a 302. We entrapped Michael Flynn and like, okay, all yeah. Thank you for the exculpatory evidence. My goodness, but no, uh, that's not going to happen anytime okay. soon. So I, I'm sorry to depress you, but no, um, I wanted to hear your opinion. Yeah, that's, that's just. What... Uh, and if it does happen, I'll be the first one to say that I'm wrong, and I'll be celebrating at Mount Rushmore with all of you guys. Good. Right. So, all right, we'll <laughs> go to Cubs jersey, then we'll do the last one. I promise. Okay. I have a special place in my heart for the Chicago Cubs. All right, so so do I. <laughs> was that a Ron um, Santo jersey? Yeah, actually, Jeez, it is. that's a throwback. My gosh. Hey, hey, I just wanted to ask real quickly: where where do you feel in all these issues that we talked about tonight? Where do you feel the church has oh. succeeded, and where does the church need to step up? Thank you, thank you for mentioning it. So yeah. I have a project at one of the few colleges I put my name behind. I think most colleges are just rotten to the core. Um, but one of the colleges I put my name behind is Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Terrific school. It's unbelievable. We have a project called the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty. Um, heavily involved in it. One of the fellows, Erica, who happens to be my girlfriend, is also here. Uh, she's terrific. And Liberty's amazing. And, and Hillsdale's great, too. But I, I go out of my way always to mention Liberty. So let me first stay with this with the church. Um, I don't know if this is the case in South Dakota. I think I got an email from someone in South Dakota recently that did say this was the case. But one of the main reasons why BLM has grown in power and credibility is because the church has aided, funded, and supported it. Um, and I, I say the American church broadly, but I could point to 10 mega church pastors with over 500,000 followers on Instagram that have posted the black squares, said America systemically racist, and are actually driving donations towards blacklivesmatter.com which as we went through their pro-sex work, all these sorts of, it's like incredible. Like how could a church do that? Well, look, to be honest with you guys, if you look at all the pillars of what Soros is funding, what these people are doing, one of their primary focuses is the infiltration of seminaries in the American church. Um, they, they've done this for years and the American church has been co-opted. It's been corrupted by radical left-wing 
let's just say liberation theologists. Let's put it really nice. I, I don't know if there's any Catholics out there. You know exactly what I mean if I'm talking about liberation theology. However, for the Protestants out there, you probably know what I mean. It's basically the argument that Jesus was a socialist. Jesus was a Marxist. This is taught to a lot of young Christians. When I go to Christian campuses, I am met with more hostility typically than when I go to secular campuses. Not always the case, but you would be amazed at how radical young Christians have become. So it would be one thing if the church was complacent. I pray for complacency because they're complicit. And, and that's the problem is that they're funding it. They're marching in the streets alongside of it. They are engineering this kind of social activism. And the left knows exactly what they're doing. Just I'm an evangelical Christian. I believe, by the way, I have this radical view that I think the Bible should be taught in every single classroom across the country. And if you don't teach the Bible, you should be defunded. Like that one was for you, Huffington Post. They love writing about that. That you know, yeah. They say, oh, it's separation of church and state. Yeah, show me that in the Constitution. Doesn't exist. Single letter by Thomas Jefferson in 1803 to the Danbury Baptist Convention. However, I rest my case on that. Um, it's incredibly important. I mean, I, I get very upset when I see churches that care far more about social activism than, first of all, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and secondly, what 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 they can socially do. And so I have, I have a long shtick on this, so I'll do it as quickly as I can. Most important thing you can do in your life is commit your commit yourself, accept Jesus Christ into your life. Most important thing you could do, right? That, surrender yourself to Christ. Most important thing. Here's, here's where we stop, though, as Christians. We don't tell people the second most important thing, to make sure you can do the first thing. To make sure you can still do the first thing. Make sure your kids can do the first thing. To make sure your country allows the first thing to happen. To make sure more people are doing the first thing. To make sure the first thing becomes not condemned, but accepted. We kind of like lost that whole thing. So what happens is the Bible clearly states to make disciples of all nations, not converts of all nations. So what ends up happening, and I don't know if this is the case in South Dakota as much, but I'm sure because it's generally the case, is you have these really, really big churches and they do cattle calls for conversion almost every week. And I support that. It's biblical. People raise their hands. They come forward. They commit their life to Jesus Christ. Then they come the next week and they see other people do it. And they come the next week, they see other people do it. And then they'll say, well, but I don't really know how to interact with the rest of the world, right? And especially when it comes to civics and politics and decisions that are very personal. And the church is like, well, we don't want to deal with that sort of stuff. And they just say, it's Romans 13, right? Romans 13, like God, God, God says he appoints people of all authority. Who's the authority in our country? We are. See, when Paul wrote that, the, the, the sovereign was the Caesar. The sovereign is now we the people. And so we actually have a duty to get involved in every single civic Engagement. You can imagine in First Timothy, it says, pray for every single leader by name, what they're going through and why they're doing it. How many people here, probably not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, know every school board member and what they're going through and pray for them by name every night? Probably not. And that's okay. And I'm just saying the, the left does it differently. The point is this, is that we as Christians, we, we, say, we stay away from politics like it's too messy. Like, first of all, what's not messy in this world? Like, I can show you a mega church that's pretty messy, okay? Number one. Number two, we as the people that know ultimate truth, Philippians 4, 8, right before Philippians 4, 13, which is one of the most famous verses in the history of the gospel, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right before that, Paul says, fight and contest for whatever be true, whatever be beautiful, whatever be good. America's beautiful and good and true. And so we should fight for all things that are true and stand for those things. The gospel tells us to do that. And the, 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 the church's abdication and their, their complicit behavior in these movements is what is going to be the downfall of this country if we don't correct course. The reason why socialist Marxist movements always have fallen flat in America in the 60s, in the 70s, and the 80s was because of the American church. 
is because there were pastors that would say, let's gather around absolute truth, right? Here's what's good in the world. Here's what's right. Here's what's just. And then all of a sudden you have something to compare it against, right? But what happens for six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks when you don't have church in person anymore and you lack ecclesia, which means the gathering of believers and you're just watching it through a Zoom camera, which again, I, I appreciate the church's innovation, but I think we all agree it's not the same thing. It's just not. That's the perfect time to strike a social revolution when church is canceled, right? Is that not the perfect time to burn everything down when church is not gathering? You couldn't have designed a greater moral gap to go. All of a sudden, people are not meeting with their pastors. They're not around their fellow Christians. They're not comparing notes. And then these pastors are going through the live stream saying, we're a racist, bigoted, homophobic country. He doesn't have to look at any of the reactions of the people in the room, right? They just say it with total and they just walk off stage. And then they, then people are like, well, maybe we are. I, I don't know. And we as Christians have a moral obligation to fight for this country. We do. We have a moral obligation to fight for truth. And I have been so saddened and let down by how many Christians have not just not fought, but they've aided the other side. And so I, I hope that's a clear message, everyone in this room. All right, last question. It's about Mount, it's about Mount Rushmore. Oh, so okay. we are decent people, but we are fighting against other indecents. Yes. So there are all sorts of talk online right now about all the tickets that were put into the lottery and all the people who aren't showing up and all the people that are going to flip it off to Trump. And this is our state. Do we just show up? Because there should not be an empty seat there. Yeah, I mean, I look, I can tell you this. I hosted the president last week, 3,400 students through our 501c4 turning point action. It was incredible. Every single seat was filled. Um, we had 59,000 ticket requests for 3,300 seats to give an idea of the malevolence of the left. We gamed that out. We factored it in and we were able to see which tickets were fake and which weren't. That's above my pay grade. I'm not involved in that, but I can't, I could tell you that. And that's a really important point. I, I, I wish I could give you concrete recommendation. I'm sure all of you would show up if you got a ticket. But what I could tell you is this, is that we are not dealing with a force that just thinks that this is a fun debate. They, they want us destroyed. Seriously, they do. And I, I don't mean to be so dark. It's like it sounds so depressing, but it's just true. It's just what they want. And so um, I do want to end on an optimistic note. I wish I could be more helpful with that. Sorry. I, I would love to tell you to show up, but then I'd hate to have you show up if it's packed, right? So. We have to realize, too, that we're not fighting a No, we're not. Well, so yeah, let's talk about that biblically, right? So God calls people to do fights that the Israelites didn't want to do all the time. And so people say, I don't like Trump's tone. I don't like the way he talks. Well, then just take, just do me a favor. Get scissors and take the entire story of Samson out of your Bible. Like, please. I can't even repeat the story of Samson to a Bible school class. I can't. God came to him in a prostitute's bed. And then right after that, he took a jaw of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines. Like, that's pretty graphic, right? Like, we're going to not do that one in Sunday school today. But why did God call Samson? Because he was willing to fight unlike the Israelites at the time right? And Paul went out of his way. We think Paul wrote Hebrews. Paul went out of his way in the book of Hebrews to mention Samson in the hall of faith when he was like, XYZ begat him and Elijah begat him. And then he says, Samson, like, wow, that was such a powerful story to the people of Israel and the people fighting for truth because Paul was under attack. Remember, Paul did not exactly have, let's just say, a seamless ministry. Like you sort of had the ultimate persecution. And we have to recognize right now that we are in a drawn out conflict for what is good and what is true and what is beautiful in this world. Here's the optimistic point. Let's let's end on some good news, right? Here's the first thing. Number one, the young conservatives that are rising up are tougher, smarter, and more committed to fight than almost the entire U.S. Senate of Republicans. That's number one, okay? They just are. And I'm going to tell you why. And it's not, 
It's not necessarily because the Senate Republicans are weak. You can come to that conclusion. It's because they were not raised as activists. They were raised in a college Republican atmosphere where you got along with the Democrats and you loved each other and you just had policy disagreements. They went to the Senate. It was basically the same. And now they're basically getting their political education in the activism that's happening on the campus. Now that the whole country has become a college campus, these senators are like, uh, what? Like they're, per- they're following me into the elevator. They're filming me. Like I, I don't like this. This, I, wasn't it nice. And we just kind of were all friends. Like that's not the case anymore. It's just not the young conservative generation. They're tough. They're smart. They're clear eyed and they're ready to fight. It's incredible. I have so much optimism for what I'm seeing. And I would rather fight like Gideon's army with 300 people up against a huge army than 30,000 weak people that want to retreat back. I'm not kidding. I would rather have people that are clear-eyed and ready to fight. The other optimistic point is this. The left has the tech companies. They control our government. They control the deep state of our government. They control a lot of our own party. They control the media. They control all this stuff. But we have one thing that they're always going to be trying to find. Bezos is $150 billion, can't get it. Google's monopoly can't get it. We have the truth. And one sentence of truth can deflate and defeat 40 years of lies. I can't tell you how many times through my podcasting and my speaking, I'm speaking to young people. And one sentence that I say destroys a left-wing view. That I mean, I, I see people all the time, they mess with me. Charlie, I was a liberal, now I'm a conservative because of something you said. I might not agree with everything, but now I understand why you have the structure of thinking that you do. And so we, if you have the truth, you have a moral prerogative to live it out and to fight for it every single day because you have something that the rest of the world is looking for. And of course, we have ultimate truth, those of us that are Christians. But from there, we fight for the truth of first principles and the freedom of markets and private property and all those things, whatsoever be true. And so my optimism is this. I know that an active and robust conservative movement could could just end all of this immediately. As soon as we stop being dormant and become active, we win. When we play offense, we win. Think about it. When we are pushing forth our policies, when we're pushing forth truth and we're contesting for it, we win elections, we win confirmation fights, we get Kavanaugh confirmed, right? When we hold the line, when we're playing defense, we lose the country. And so we have to be offensive, we have to be very focused on what success looks like, and then we'll be able to save our country. So one way that you guys could help me, I have a podcast, if you guys want to subscribe to it, it would bless me greatly. I do two shows a day, I do 14 hours of podcasting a week. If you type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast uh, provider, all of you have it in your smartphones, by the way. If you don't know how to do that, just ask one of the college kids, they'll be able to walk you through it. And then uh, you hit subscribe. But look, I'm going to be really blessed to be here. You guys have a terrific state, terrific people. Fight for your state, fight for our country. We are going to win this fight. Uh, It's not going to happen overnight. But I'm telling you, if we stick together as conservatives, as patriots, the left is terrified of a unified conservative movement. That's why they've tried to infiltrate us. That's why they've tried to weaken us down of all this. But um, when we fight, we win. And so I'm blessed to be with you guys. And thank you guys for being so great. So thank you. (laughs) 